Hello and welcome to another episode of the Crystal Podcast. I'm your host Laura and this is episode 22. I am here with Mia. Hello, you may know me as Omia God on Twitter. And Retta. Hi, you may know me as Super Retta on Twitter. Woo, and this is like, we've recorded a good chunk of this episode once already. Yeah, um, like what, like 70% maybe we already did? I don't think it was quite 70%, but it was like, it was a good chunk. I think um, it was at least three episodes, right? I, I It was at least two, might have been three, who knows. Um, so like, here's the deal. Last couple of episodes of this we've tried to record, we have lost massive chunks due to working on terrible dying laptops. And I've not purchased a replacement yet, but next week I've got a Mac coming from work and I'm reviewing like a very fancy laptop this week. So I'm using this very fancy gaming laptop to record Clodcast because I know it's not going to explode on us. There you go. Oh, a bit overkill. We yeah. did record three episodes. Okay. I just read through my notes to see where we got to it. <laughs> Yeah, we got through the first three episodes of this batch <laughs> and then, like, the whole thing broke. Um, so we're using, like, a laptop so expensive I'm afraid to have it in the house to record on Audacity because... Yeah, it, it probably costs more than, like, most things we own combined. I'm pretty sure it's the most expensive thing in the house and, probably. like, it's being used to record Clodcast off a of Yeti because... Clodcast, it's great. Yeah, it's, just, it's a big special event, yeah. that's why. It, it really shouldn't break... And if it does break on us, like my thing that's falling apart, then I can give it a very bad review. I'll be like, I tried to record Clodcast, it didn't work. Grumble, yeah, grumble, it grumble. It couldn't even handle a podcast. Yeah, couldn't even it, handle that. Yeah, how can it handle, like, crisis? Is, is I'm that quite still, out of there. I don't, I don't know, know what the new I think that's is. still the benchmark. Is it? I think okay. people still use crisis because yeah. it has a lot of, like, environmental yeah. defamation stuff. The last time I was, like, super into games, Crisis was the benchmark. So Crisis I, is I the know. one I remember is, like, you want to see if your graphics are good, how well can you run yeah, Crisis? Yeah. Maybe Crisis 2? There was a sequel, right? I, I, there is a Crisis 2. I'm pretty sure that's less intensive than the first. Okay. I think the first was really poorly optimised, and that's why people use it right. as a benchmark. Okay, that makes sense. Something like that. I might be spouting nonsense. I'm, I'm Kotaku's news editor. I should know these things. Um... <laughs> So today we are going to be talking about, I should have had this open by now, I was just watching our waveform to make sure this was working, episode 104, Kindergarten Kid, episode 105, Know Your Fusion, episode 106, Buddy's Book, episode 107, Mindful Education, and episode 108, Future Boys Ultron. It's a good week of episodes, this it's one. It's a good batch. And we, we've talked about this a couple of times, like, off-air and on the <laughs> lost episode. Um, the next, like, five or six weeks we have left of, like, standard episode discussion mm-hmm. episodes. Uh, possibly more than that, because we found out air dates for the next episodes today. Did we? Ooh, I didn't know that. Oh, oh yeah, sorry, I forgot uh, to tell apparently you. Apparently the next batch is airing end of August in Southeast Asia, which means that it's probably coming worldwide shortly after the end of August, like around the end of August, beginning of September. So So we're off to Korea to watch it. Yes, we're going to go to Korea and watch it legally and no other way of accessing it. No, 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 no. Um, But yeah, we've we've got five or six like weeks of episodes left and they're all really good. Mm. Like there's no weak batch. It's just bam, bam, yeah, bam, Yeah, we're bam. in like the home stretch now, aren't we? Like, it we fe- can see up to It there. feels like we are, because we're, we're entering the, the most recent season. Yeah, It's like yeah. we are like steadily running towards mm. the end of the content we have currently. It's charging into that brick wall. It's going to be fun. Uh, so let's start with episode 104, Kindergarten Kid. And... This uh, this is the first episode of season four, is 
episode, I believe. Yeah, yes, that sounds right. Yeah, it is. I've written down season four, episode Ooh, one. So. Yeah, it's it follows on really quickly from the end of season three, much like the previous ones have done. We have end of the season is here's your big climactic stuff going on. Here is the start of the new season where we just kind of deal with some of the aftermath yeah. and have like a slowly building back up adventure. It's a trend they've done in the past, which they do not repeat yeah. further next time. But mm. yeah, they've done that thing before, haven't they? Where it's like the big intense ending and then they're like, okay, let's well, deal with the aftermath. And you say that, the, the there does seem like there's going to be one of those, which is like that first batch of episodes from season five does very quickly reach an end of it and it looks like the next batch of episodes is going to be the quiet build back up. That's true, but I think... It's not quite at the season cut-off yeah, point like it usually is. the newest one is the only time we've gone from a cliffhanger to... Into an action-packed, yeah. 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 Uh, so yeah, no, this is... Uh, in the aftermath, they go back to the kindergarten where Jasper had a bunch of corrupt gems uh, locked up. Mm-hmm. The gems, uh, the crystal gems run in to poof the rest of the corrupted gems. And very early on, we get a question that I think is interesting to talk about is, is physical jail different from bubbling? Yeah, because it's... Uh, the... what, what is the statement that said that... Garnet says they're cared for in the stasis of the bubble. Like yeah. they won't suffer, I think is the important one. Yeah. Yeah. My my question I kind of tack on to this is like for me the big difference between physical prison and the bubble prison is that in the bubble time <clears throat> doesn't pass. Yeah. Which is yeah. both a positive and a negative for the bubble. Is if you're suffering, you don't have to suffer. But you're also imprisoned without any agency in the bubble. Yeah, it's very dehumanizing. Yeah. But like at the same time, if I was gonna be imprisoned for ten years I'd rather be imprisoned in a bubble and have Yeah, no so idea. it passes in a flash yeah. as well. Yeah, but also, like, if you're in a physical prison and you don't <clears> think <throat> you should be there, you have the option to fight to try and get out to but it also object depends... to your being trapped. It also depends on the fusions. Like, if the fusions are actually in pain... The corruption change. The corruptions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I said that and was like, I'm using the wrong word, but I can't remember the real word. <laughs> Um, yeah, if the corruptions are actually in physical pain well, from being corrupted. We don't know. Because, like, this episode centres around this sort of roadrunner corruption. Mm-hmm. Doesn't seem to be in any pain whatsoever. Yeah. It seems to be perfectly happy and content. Yeah, it, does, yeah, it only kind of gets aggressive when they're already being aggressive it, towards it. It gets aggressive when it is cornered and trapped and scared. And it's put in a flight or fight situation. Yeah, which is the natural and reaction. Thing. That's the thing is, I think that like while I can understand the gem's reasoning for thinking the bubble, the bubble is some kind of more, more morally okay place to lock these gems up. I can also see the very real argument of you're taking away these gems' ability to have agency to try and fight back against imprisonment and to try and get back to doing whatever it was they were doing before they were disturbed. Yeah, I think, at least in this case, the gems seem at least aware that what they're doing is not exactly 100% morally okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, this is the best we can do, so it's what we do but, and we're yeah, aware but they, it's they not don't, right. Well, they don't acknowledge or explain to Stephen any of the problems with what they're doing. They're like, nope, this is the right thing to do, there we go. Well, it's the whole thing that they always do with Stephen, which is omitting the information. But yeah. uh, more often than not, it ends up with him either putting himself in danger or him being put in danger mm. because he doesn't know entirely what is going yeah. on with anything. Like, with this bubble question, I've thought about it before being like, 
would I rather be in a prison for 10 years or just 10 years of past or 10 years older, there's your sentence done. And the easy answer is, oh, I'll just skip the 10 years. Then, you know, I don't have to go through that. But also it's like, you would probably come out of that with some real culture shock of the world has advanced a decade and I've been gone. And like the the whole, like there's 10 years of the world that are just missing to you would probably really mess with you. I agree. However, <clears throat> why I, I agree with you, fine. <laughs> but I think what makes this um, different is that it's the argument of how self-aware the corrupted gems are. They are clearly quite self-aware, but a lot of the time I think the corrupted gems are shown to be very confused and distressed in general. But so I think the idea is they're going to be, rather than them being confused and distressed and like, oh, what's going on? But there's also the argument to be made for Centipetal, who like, clearly was able to come back to a place of sentience That's and true. understood what had been going on and where she wanted to get back to. And But did she only understand that when she was partially healed? That's, again, a good question because she doesn't seem to remember... Well, she does remember she apps. When she <laughs> has one, true. she remembers them. So That's she... True. Clearly, there is some degree of memory of yeah. the time as a corruption. It's but a, that could be because she was still half corrupt. Yeah. Mm. It's a very kind of intense discussion to have about a children's cartoon. Indeed. And I think it's an interesting discussion for us to pivot back to at the end of this episode because of the fact that they bubble this gem rather than finding a non-bubbling yeah, solution. Yeah, which I think would have been better. But... Yeah, but we'll get there. So, um... Homeworld apparently doesn't have corrupted gems, or at the very least, doesn't let people see them. Yeah, Peridot has never come across. Yeah, she's like, we don't have anything like this back on Homeworld. She she implies that at the very least, if there are corrupt gems on Homeworld, Homeworld doesn't let anyone know about it. No. But if, <clears throat> like, the centipedal suggests that it was created by the diamonds, so, yeah, was the corruption, because we the, hear, like, yeah. the organ... Noise, which is the beginning of a we song later on. We had this discussion on the deleted episode. Yes, yes, we did. I was like, had, was the weapon tested on gems? Yeah, so... If it was, were the gems then killed? So were they then shattered and put into the cluster? To be clear, what we're referring to here is cent- in the centipedal episode when she's partially healed and we see her draw the big blinding white light that we assume is what corrupts uh, most of the gems on Earth. You can hear the music that you later hear with... Um, Blue diamond yeah. and yellow diamond. It's the organ noise, isn't it? It's the music that you hear is like the in- the intro just before uh, what's the use in feeling blue. Mm-hmm. So we're like, hey, if they were testing this corruption weapon, did they maybe corrupt gems once they were like, oh, that was successful, shatter them, throw them aside. Is that what they used to make the cluster? Yeah. I wonder if um, looking back at Jasper, that reveals anything. Because Jasper did not seem aware of what corruption was, maybe. Mm. Like, she it, seemed to ignore it. It really does seem like if this is what was going on, the diamonds kept this from everyone yeah. in, like, below themselves. I like, I suspect that. even their pearls didn't know about yeah. it. It's kind of a dark scenario to imagine, but I definitely can see the diamonds experimenting on imprisoned crystal gems yeah, to, to it'd be, create corruption. Especially if it's anyone that they deem their lessers, because yeah. they seem to have no value for yeah. any gems when the that weapon, diamonds. When the weapon fires, from what <clears> we in what we kind of know, it's, it, there was clearly some sort of warning, because we see that there was the rush to escape, yeah, well, which is when Lapis was dropped. Doesn't, like, I think Stephen's narrating it in the Centipedal episode, but I'm pretty sure he's, he says 
there was a call back and they started retreating. Yeah, I think they were was, told to retreat yeah, and get out of the area. Yeah, there was a message that was kind of like, this is the equivalent of the air raid siren. We're firing this thing. Get off Earth. Mm-hmm. And that's how we ended up with so many corrupted gems. It's yeah. the ones that didn't make it off. Yeah. Um, so we come across this Roadrunner corrupted gem. Like That's what I'm going to refer to it as because it's clearly a Wiley Coyote Absolutely, Roadrunner yeah. analog episode. Mm-hmm. Um, Perid- <laughs> Peridot mocks the gem for not being able... Uh, she mocks the crystal gems for not being able to keep pace with this Roadrunner gem. Mm-hmm. Like It's just one gem. It doesn't look outwardly dangerous. Why are you having so much trouble with this? Yeah, it's it's Peridot again showing off that intellect is what she values in people. Yeah. Because, Don't outbrute it, outsmart it. Yeah, because yeah. this gem is clearly not very intelligent in the way that Peridot measures intelligence. Yes. And also, like, we see how little she thinks of this Roadrunner gem by the fact that she says, how could you be outsmarted by that thing? Yeah. She doesn't accrue any agency yeah. to this gem. Mm-hmm. And I think it was you, Retter, in the Lost version of this episode that pointed out Stephen always uses female pronouns. Yeah, he says, well, she's just lost and confused. Yeah. Stephen refers to this gem with pronouns, gives them agency as if they are a thinking creature of, of value. Whereas Peridot is like, thing, it. Very dehumanising terms that just sort of talking about this gem as if they aren't there. Yeah, it's the difference between referring to something as an animal and referring yeah. it to it as a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or a uh, an animal and a monster, perhaps. Yeah, as we will, as we will get there. Mm-hmm. Um, question for you both: Sure. Did Garnet overlook future vision to give Peridot a learning opportunity? I believe. I so. think she did. I think. It was her way of kind of humbling Peridot in a way. Because Peridot has always been like, I am the superior one. Yeah, because we see at the end of the episode that Garnet never left. Mm -hmm. I do think she looked into the future and was like... was like, if we let her try and prove herself, she's going to learn a lesson. We should back off. And like, nothing dangerous is going to happen. Steven is not going to get hurt. Yeah. So... Peridot wants to outsm- uh, outsmart, not outbrute, because as we said before, her measure of intelligence is how she views worth yeah. in the world. She, We first see the Roadrunner gem un- in the kindergarten, in the place where all the holes were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this Roadrunner gem seems really interested in the gem injector. Yeah. I don't know how much we read into this, because we- I... I have some theories on this. Okay, go for it. Like, my thought is, is this the kindergarten that this gem came from? I is think my so. thought. Or did it build that kindergarten? Yeah, was it involved in doing I always because... want to say kindergarten. Because that's <laughs> yeah, how no, you learn spelled... it in German. It yeah. confuses the hell it's, out of It's also how time. it's spelled. Like, yeah. if you read it phonetically, that's how you'd probably yeah. say it. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like they're trying to imply that this gem not only has a history with this specific kindergarten, but that this gem remembers a history with the kindergarten. Yeah, I th- I think that was what it could be implying. Yeah. And that, again, is part of why I, you know, have my issues with bubbling these corrupted yeah. gems, is it looks like this one can remember life before it was a corrupt gem. They basically need the equivalent of kind of like a national park, where they can kind of just like well, fence it off. Are you on about having... A zoo? A zoo. A corruption zoo. 
definitely allusions, yeah, to how the diamonds treat humans. I was I was thinking of a far worse allegory for when he was suggesting putting a fence around all the corrupted oh, gems. No, no. I was like, no, you're not suggesting a place that you're going to put them in and they cannot leave. No. And no. if they try and leave, they will be uh, they will be bubbled. Not like a prison, but like a place where they can run around outside. And they're, what they're you're suggesting is a free range prison. Yeah, kind of. Like the kind of like you know when you've got horses in um, a large wildlife enclosure. That's what I think. The I I, I feel like on. you're doing the thing of like um, people shouldn't. I feel like you're suggesting like people shouldn't be vegan. It's okay if you let the chickens run free, like no. have free space. <laughs> I just think like yeah, you mean like reservations, like how they have wildlife. I, I know what you mean. Yes. I'm just messing with you now. <laughs> well, that's I'm trying to I do think. things we didn't okay. do last time to keep the yeah. flow going. So we're not just repeating ourselves. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's that's a good idea. Um. So yeah, lots of slapstick humour in this episode. A lot of it we can just skim over. Yeah, um, you can't really talk much about like what does it mean yeah. when the cannon backfires. No, it, it's clearly just off. like a Warner Brothers cartoon. Yeah, it's um, funny though. Like, yeah. it's entertaining. Paradox tries to use her metal powers to make the thing fall <laughs> on the Roadrunner. It falls on her. She tries to make the injector into a cannon. It fires her backwards into a wall. Yeah. Um, Damn Acme cannons. I do mm. want to talk about one of the slapstick ones in more detail. Sure. Which is when she's waiting at the top of the cliff with the big rock. Mm. And her plan is, we'll wait until he gets right underneath us and doesn't suspect a thing, which will happen because it's so stupid. She's still using it to refer to the Roadrunner gem. And she's like, she assumes that this gem is so unintelligent that it will walk into an obvious trap. Yeah, I don't even, I, like, the way I read it is that not even that it'll walk into an obvious trap, but that how it's completely nonsensical, that it will just go under here for no reason, because what it's doing has no basis in reality whatsoever. Yeah, it's, again, you sort of see the more these slapstick plans happen, that she's not trying to outsmart it by using her intelligence, She's trying to outsmart it by assuming that it is stupid, mm-hmm. and as such, well, anything I do will be will outsmart it. It's like that's not really the case. Yeah, it's like she believes that she's so intelligent. The most basic of plans will just like, yeah, that'll work. That's all yeah, you need that, to do. That'll do. Um, the creature foils the plan again. Peridot gets crushed under a rock and falls over yeah, and squashed. And... Three times she gets kind of crushed or splatted up. Yeah. Peridot's are very hard to pop. Yeah, Peridot is hard to poof. Uh, the question I had on my notes was, are they near diamond strength? And we looked this up. They're very strong gems. Yeah, physically a Peridot gem. Yeah, yeah. a Peridot gem on Earth is quite a strong gemstone. Yeah, like when, I, when I first saw the episode, I saw that line as more just a throwaway almost in joke to be like she should have poofed by now but, but we're having the looney tunes episode yeah, that's why she's not poofing yeah, for the comedic effect she's not poofing but i also understand like the kind of counter theory that that's actually a reference to peridot being much stronger than that the diamonds told her she was mm-hmm. in the same yeah. sense that kind of pearls can fly but they were just assistance blah blah blah, blah. exactly um peridot talks now we we get to the sort of campfire scene and she talks about her stubbornness a bit mm-hmm. she sort of talks about like um yeah Stephen suggests she go that they go back and get help from the other crystal gems and she says go back let it be known that i peridot remove to move forward uh, refuse to move forward or back until i am victorious uh so yeah reinforcing that she's stubborn i don't get it 
I'm smarter than your average paradox. So she's like, not only am I smart, I'm smart for my smart race. Um, how did I fail to get a today against some barely functional, stupid, cloddy dum-dum? It's quite harsh. She yeah. uses language I would not want to use to refer no. to anyone. I, mean, I think she's just getting frustrated that yeah. things aren't going her own way. It's, it shows how incredibly arrogant she still is, though. Mm-hmm. Like, clearly every problem parrot has ever come across, she has dealt with her brain. Yep. And this is where we get the line where, like, we start getting mental health and mm-hmm. learning disability analogue. Stephen says, hey, corruptions aren't dumb, they just think a little different. That's all. I don't know what other people read into this, but I've always read that line as, like, I view this Roadrunner character as, like, an autistic spectrum analogue. Yep. Quite often. I view it as, like, a non-verbal autistic spectrum analogue. Can we put the jingle in here? Yeah, you got to put in uh, the that's jingle. That's if I remember to put the jingle in. Um, I didn't have my physical notes out today, so maybe I'll do the autistic spectrum jingle, autistic spectrum jingle. Maybe it's here, maybe <laughs> it's not. Did I remember? You tell me in the comments. You know more than we do. You know more than we do. It's It's been a long weekend. I might forget. Um, uh, but yeah, that's exactly the way. Like, the first time I saw it, immediately yep. I was like, that's what they're doing. They're yeah. doing the whole thing. It's like kids do when they're like, oh, that kid's stupid. And it's like, no, they're not. They're thinking in a different way than you are. Yeah. They're dealing with things at we, a different level. Do you remember the quote you used before in the Lost episode? No, please tell me. Did I sound intelligent? <laughs> <laughs> you used the quote of... Um, if oh, if, uh, if you, you judge, judge a fish, a fish by, its, by its ability to climb yeah. a tree, it will live its entire life thinking it's stupid. Yes, I did. That's what I was... I, I had forgotten I went in that direction <laughs> last time. Thank you for reminding me. Um, yeah, that's that's what I was thinking of. It's the whole thing where Peridot is judging everyone against what she is how, good how, at. How, how well they do the things that she's yeah, good at. Yeah, which is a theme that comes back with Smokey Crunch. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, it's it's difficult because initially I think they handle this really well. I do not like the resolution of this as a mental health panel. Every time we watch this episode, I talk about it. Like even before we were doing this podcast, we're always like, "This is a terrible ending." It's it's one of those that they could like we've workshopped ways they could have fixed this ending, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I'm sure we will talk about it in a second. um, Rebecca, sure, get in touch. Yeah, we'll we'll help you with like consultancy. We know what we're doing. We can help out. Um. So yeah, no, like, initially Stephen's like, look, they just think a little differently. Peridot says, uh, just to make sure my Earth vocabulary is correct on this, let's say I'm a monster. I spend all my time slamming my face into hard objects and throwing my tongues in the air for fun. How am I not dumb? The example she gives there of self-inflicted sort of blunt force trauma, like, self-inflicted injury, and moving your limbs in a way that doesn't seem to serve any kind of direct purpose are both things that people on the autistic spectrum do, particularly non-verbal autistic people that cannot express what they're going through. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Uh, The head-hitting and stimming, which is sort of self-stimulatory behaviour, sort of, if you ever see an autistic person rocking back and forth or flapping their arms, that is stimming. Mm -hmm. That seems to be the two things they're calling out with slamming the face into objects and throwing the tongues up in the air. Uh, it's like, yeah, maybe, uh, Stephen says, maybe, you know, maybe they're not stupid. She must be doing something right. She hasn't fallen for any of your Perry plans. And Peridot puts it down to, it's luck. It's nothing, nothing they do makes any sense. So Stephen tries to get Peridot to understand what it's like to be put in a situation that 
this Roadrunner gem or a non-verbal autistic person might be in, where there is something distressing them and they don't know what to do about yeah. it, and they resort to seemingly not understandable responses out mm-hmm. of frustration at not being able to change their situation. Which in this instance is marshmallows. Yes, it's pelting them with marshmallows. I and... want to know where he got the marshmallows, because he doesn't have his cheeseburger backpack. That's I... your prime. <laughs> okay. My, my answer to this is always up his butt. Uh, kept him up his Uncle butt. Grandpa did it. Un- Uncle Grandpa did it. That's a good one. <laughs> uh, he probably just had him up his shirt. He's not actually fat. It's just food up there. Yeah, just just start food. Yeah, I could see that. I want to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah, but like the <laughs> the way I wrote it down in my notes was Stephen triggers an abnormal response out of Peridot by making her feel trapped, stressed, scared, hunted, and alone. Yeah, and which she are, reacts doing yeah. the kind of feral anger. Yeah, reaction. she just kind of growls. She shakes. She shakes her body and screams, mm-hmm. which are a non-verbal response and a physical movement that's not like achieving anything yeah. but is just trying to get rid of an emotion it's good because it's Stephen basically being like okay you were put in that situation you just reacted the exact yes, same way and you have the ability to use words this mm-hmm. gem doesn't appear to have the ability to speak exactly. or at least in a way we can understand yeah and as such they're probably going to get to that same reaction you did faster because they don't have words to use they can't exactly. say Stop that, for example. It's a, it's a good exchange. Yeah. I like it. Uh, so, like, yeah, I really like that of trying to put Peridot in the this set of shoes of being like, look, if you're put in this situation, you might do the same. It's not such an un- uh, it's not such a difficult response to understand. Like, you yeah. can maybe empathise with why someone would do this when put in this situation. Um, Stephen then goes to completely undermine the autism analogue by repeatedly using the phrase, think like a monster. Yeah, the way I saw that, and this doesn't excuse it, but the way I saw it is that's Stephen using the language that Peridot had used kind of back at her to be like, this is what you are thinking in terms of referring yeah. to this person. It's, it's not, it but doesn't excuse her. I think we, mm-hmm. me and me and Retta made this point last time, was the whole idea that Stephen through this whole episode has not been just following yeah. Peridot's lead on language. Um, pronouns, great example of that. Yeah. Uh, Peridot uses it. Stephen like, doesn't acknowledge that she used it. And instead says she. Yeah. And just keeps using the correct language in the hopes that Peridot will pick up what he's laying down. And yeah. that's why I don't go along with your, like, I, yeah, monster I is it. right to use. I think you could so easily have replaced that with think like a corruption. Yeah. Well, the thing is, like, just to be clear, I don't think that is the right thing to use. Yeah. I, ju- I just think that's, like, the explanation. I, c- I can understand it, but it's like, you could have done think like her, oh, yeah, think yeah. like a corruption, think a little differently. I think it's a poor line, which, to be honest, is out of character, it's, Stephen. Yeah, yeah and it really is. It just feels like it undermines so much of what this episode gets right. Yeah, it does. And it undermines Stephen's character, in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because Stephen wouldn't say that. No. Yeah, um... Like, the thing I put in here was his continuing to use that f- the phrase monster for an autism analogue is gross. That's the yeah. way I feel about it. It just I feels agree. gross. I agree. Um, the solution also ends up kind of undermining the whole uh, analogue. Yeah, because... they, they ruin that whole scene. Yeah. They have such a nice moment where they set it up. Be like, oh, just understand them. They're just yeah. different to you. Because the way they set it up is like, think like this corrupted gem. So Peridot tries to mimic the things that this gem is doing and the gem doesn't get scared because 
she's not running at it with yeah. a cannon. Up to that point, it's perfect. Yes. And then Peridot gets this mischievous look on her face and kicks she the gem. She kicks the gem. Why? Why? And like, no one criticises her for this. Uh, it ends up being a combat solution to what could so easily have been solved by understanding and compassion. Because we've seen that the gems are not opposed to not bubbling a gem, if that's the right thing to do. Yeah, exactly. We saw with Centipedal... Okay, we got Centipedal back to her family. There's Centipedal and a bunch of other corrupted Centipedals, and they trusted, even though they're corruptions, we trust them not to cause any harm and to be able to communicate, these people are safe, let's not harm them. To be able to like communicate and be safe and not pose anyone any harm is a judgment we can make yeah, about corrupt yeah, I think the only reason they left Centipedal in the ship with the other ones, though... It's because it has a door. It has a door. She's yeah. locked in. Like, what, she do we struggles. know she's locked in? Well, yeah, she had. it's got the handprint did they, did scanner. Did they shut her in? I think Yeah, they so. shut it when they left. And it's got oh, a handprint scanner. Because it was so a whole thing where, like, get um, out. she couldn't open the door anymore because okay. a hand transformed. Well, there's, there's things like you could bring this gem to just like hang out on the beach because this gem we saw clearly poses no threat to yeah. anyone I, that's what I said last episode didn't I like why, why can't they just take the gem with them and just yeah. live in the beach she, sea she, she poses the no harm no. and it would have made so much of a more compelling ending I think to have had this ending of I tried to empathise with this gem I can see now that they don't pose any threat why are we trying to force them to be bubbled they clearly aren't going to harm anyone at the very very least I think there should have been some sort of line about hey Peridot that was a dick move why yeah. did you kick the gem it's we didn't need to do that and like I can totally see why we got the conf- uh, the combat ending it's because they wanted to do the scene with Peridot poofing her first yeah, uh, like bubbling her first gem it, and sending it home it kind of annoys me that they're like undermined a really nice message just to get that moment in there I, like I love this scene we get at the end with the uh, with Peridot bubbling the gem I wish we'd had that as an ending to a different story yeah exactly I don't want it as the ending to this story yeah because they use it as the revelation that when something is bubbled and tapped it goes home so it goes where that person considers home yeah. mm-hmm. which is cool it's a nice yeah. bit of information and where did it go to the barn very specifically it went right next to Lapis <laughs> in the barn because I read that as Lapis's home. I read it as the barn, but I, I like your reading of it. <laughs> uh, I do want to note there is something that Peridot says that does somewhat redeem this way of ending the episode. Is She says, oh, yeah. she talks about how she saw the corrupted gem as an equal adversary. Mm-hmm. And like we at least get this line where she acknowledges that it wasn't pure luck that meant she couldn't capture this gem. She underestimated a worthy opponent, and it goes from her seeing this gem as like so lowly that anything would work to being like, no, I had to put up a good fight here. You you did a good job. Yeah, like you are different to me, but you are still on the same level. As she me. said pretty much the same thing when Pearl proved her worth in the robot building yes, competition. Yes, that's true. You pointed that out last episode, which was a good observation. But there is ties from this episode back to Peridot looking down on Pearl, mm-hmm. which she doesn't do anymore. No, yeah. at least not to the same level. Which is because they had the whole episode where Pearl proved herself. Yeah, and she was kind of like, oh, wow. Which I like. Pearl still lost that. Mm. Yeah, and again, here, the Roadrunner gem ultimately lost, but that doesn't undermine Peridot seeing her as a worthy adversary. Yeah, she still has respect. She doesn't just see the case of, I won, therefore I'm better. It's, no, you put up a good fight, therefore we are both on equal Mm -hmm. footing. Yeah, it's a good moment 
tacked on to a bad yeah. ending to a good episode. I, I would like to see this Roadrunner gem eventually um, healed of corruption. Because yeah. I'd love to see the interaction between Roadrunner gem yeah. and Peridot. They should live at the barn and run through the <gasps> cornfields. I know, wouldn't that be nice? And then Peridot can ride it into battle. <laughs> This is this this idea is getting away from. It's me also somewhere. like dehumanizing, though. Yeah, it's like we've just oh, wait, talked. Yeah. We've just talked about this gem being an autism analog. Maybe don't ride your autism analog into battle. Okay. Um, yeah, I I rescind what I just said. That is a good point. Uh, anything else we wanted to say about one hundred and four? I'm good. Okay, so next up we have. Oh, pardon me. I had to do a little burp. Episode, we have Belch. <laughs> episode 105, Know Your Fusion. I like this episode. It I, has the, Talking about episodes that have like good endings, this has a good ending that is not undermined. Yeah. Um. What I like about this one is I forgot that there's such a big gap between Smokey Quartz showing up and us addressing yeah. to the rest of the gems. I remember when we were originally talking about, like, we just watched the Smokey Quartz episode and we were talking about what's coming up. And I was like, oh, it's Know Your Fusion. That, of course that comes I'm like, Smokey nope, Quartz. that's next season like oh okay yeah because i think after smoky quartz we had um going back home the rubies were there going up to the moon the rubies going out into space steven getting rescued coming back down to earth roadrunner episode (laughs) then know your future yeah so it's kind of like this is the first time they've been back at the house and have had time to relax and and actually do this reveal so i can kind of understand why it's it's just interesting timing um so steven and amethyst are discussing how to reveal their fusion to pearl and garnet it's amusing and it's cute because they want want to make a big deal out of it yeah it's like the kids wanting to show off to the parents like they've done something really special and amazing we we need to reveal this before they realize that something's up hmm something's up with the kids (laughs) um yeah they know I like that Garnet can't predict what it is. It's like, oh, what are they planning? I I can't ask. Like, she can see that they're planning something and that it's something that is such a big deal that she can't predict it. So she's like, right, I have to just let them do this. Exactly, yeah. Because obviously the idea of Amethyst and Stephen fusing is such an unlikely idea that has never occurred yeah. to Garnet. It's not something that she can predict. If I also think the reason that she says I can't ask, though, is because if... She asked and they gave any answer, it would make her be able to see the paths that it could be. Yeah. I like that. It, it, it would ruin the surprise. If yeah. she asked anything, she'd have information to predict with. Yeah. Also, this reinforces the fact that if Garnet wasn't present for something in the past, she can't use it to make predictions of the future. Yeah. She wasn't around for the f- fusion of Smoky Quartz, therefore, she can't use the information that in the past Smoky Quartz existed to predict the future. Yeah, in a bizarre way, she's almost like a computer. Because yeah, it's like it's... she needs to have the concept programmed yeah, into it's... her to be able to then use it to create it, a conclusion. It's, it's almost like her future vision isn't so much like magic where I can see what the future will be. It's, it's math. It's like a computer algorithm yeah. that predicts the future based on analyzing inhuman amounts of data to analyze the most likely outcomes yes, and so what's happened previously yeah that, that it is aware of it, it's yeah. only information from the past that has been fed into it that it can use to make a model to predict future yeah. outcomes i like that i'm jumping ahead but i like that when they have the on the human zoo episodes when they go into space and they basically they come up with a plan and they say to sapphire like is this going to work and sapphire's like nah 
I see that as yeah. Sapphire, like, with everything she knows about, like, agates and amethysts and them, like, the crystal The gems, knowledge she has she's says like, no. this is probably not going to work. Yeah. But, <laughs> and she's then like, but we're going to try. Yeah. Because she knows that there are things she does. She's, she's wise enough to know there are things she does not know that could impact her predictions exactly. of the future. It's not a certainty. And you can never guarantee how a person is going to react. Exactly. Yeah. You can you can go with likelihoods, but you can never guarantee. Mm-hmm. And if one of the unlikely paths <clears throat> goes, suddenly you've got to predict a whole bunch of new exactly. stuff. I think that might be one of the reasons that Sapphire was so good at predicting the movements of um, the armies and things. You know, when she was talking to Blue mm-hmm. Diamond... It's because they have very set predictable roles. Yeah, they have really set roles and they think that that is the only role and they will all be taught to think a certain way. And that's why Earth is so wonderful and so difficult to take over. It's because people don't have assigned roles on Earth. And I think it's why she couldn't predict Rose and Pearl appearing and everything because they have broken out of their roles and as such are unpredictable. It's why she couldn't predict uh, Ruby... Pushing her, pushing her out the way yeah, and saving her is that's that's not what her role is. Yeah. She was making predictions based on the role that rubies yeah. have. I like that reading actually. It, it kind of it makes more sense of um, why like a small band of crystal gems were able to fight the diamonds because the diamonds like this is what's going to happen and yeah. it's like nope they're not exactly. doing their they're, they're using their sapphires to be like this is how the war will go and then suddenly it's like wait what, did, did that one use metal powers <laughs> and heal someone? <laughs> I don't remember that being a thing. <laughs> Um, so Stephen and Amethyst uh, fuse into Smoky Quartz after doing their whole, uh, we beat Jasper, but do you know who beat Jasper? <laughs> Heard that. <laughs> uh, after that whole speech. Um, Smoky Quartz almost destroys the house showing off her cool yo-yo tricks. Yeah, because Smoky is really proud of her yo-yo. Like, look at this amazing yo-yo. And this does, amazing thing does it in the house with. very excitedly yes. in a small house. Mm-hmm. Um, Pearl panics... And Garnet is ecstatic. Yeah, Garnet is absolutely thrilled. While she's Pearl jumping is around thrilled. the room. She's like shaking Pearl, smiling. Like <laughs> She's thrilled at any Stephen fusion, I think, is Garnet. Yeah. She's just like, yeah, I did it again. It's awesome. <laughs> so obviously fusion is something that is incredibly important to her. She's, mm-hmm. I, I, the way I always look at her excitement over fusions is I feel like she's the gay aunt that gets very excited when like <laughs> anyone in the extended family comes out as gay, yeah. when she's like, oh, there's another one. That's kind of how I read it. That's how I am. <laughs> Just like the excited, like older gay family member that's like, oh, there's more small gays in the family. That's true. You have done that for like the younger generation of your family. You have been yeah. kind of the wise. I have taken the on older gay. I have taken on like three of the younger gays and been like, you are gay also. I am here. I accept all the gays. Please join me. <laughs> um, Sardonic steps in to stop things, uh, opens her room in the temple, and we get more reinforcement that fusions have their own dedicated rooms. Um, we had a bit of a discussion, didn't we, about what these rooms are. and we just The nature of them as physical versus uh, non-physical. Yeah, it was the way that I see the rooms is, I see the fusion rooms like Rose's room, in that everything in them is kind of is not real, it's not tangible. It's like and like being in the hollow deck. Yeah, and kinda of like <laughs> Sardonic's existing allows this room to kind of take form and have all these kind of fake 
intangible things in and then once sad Alex no longer exists it's like this room should should not exist so, anymore so yeah. pocket dimensions I, I do just want to say we are jumping quite a lot ahead because we've not explained why we're having this discussion <laughs> the reason why this discussion has come up is at the end of the episode sardonyx well, unfuses yeah. and the room falls apart but i think just the idea that the sardonyx's room is clearly nothing like pearl's room and amethyst's room yeah but, room like it, well Here's what to me like says that maybe we shouldn't jump on that theory is if we're saying that these rooms are completely non-physical and that they are only created when mm. the the gems are in them what about Garnet's room that contains all the bubble gems what happens when Garnet's not fused I think because I think the temple was created for amethyst pearl garnet and rose so I think specifically those gems have physical locations there are t- in the temple. Garnet doesn't. There isn't a garnet door. There is a. There is a ruby and there is a sapphire. Yeah. I but... would say if you're going down the route of the gems on that door are the ones that have physical rooms. There would be a physical ruby room and a physical sapphire room, and I wouldn't expect a physical garnet room unless there was one like combo gem. But that's what I'm saying. Like I. Th- I think the temple was built with those rooms in mind. And I think that, I mean, I saw just speculation, <laughs> but I, I, I honestly believe that, like, Garnet was given the heart room and it was linked to her and they did that on purpose because okay. the heart room is a physical location that exists. So you would maybe suggest that if Ruby or Sapphire tried to enter a room, they would get a non-physical room even though they have a gem on the door? Potentially. I think it depends whether when they built the temple, whether they wanted to give Ruby a room or wanted to give Sapphire a room. I think Sardonyx had not kind of, they didn't give Sardonyx a room, which is why I think she gets the magical room, and I think that's the same, I think Smoky Quartz could have a room, well, but it would be the same as Sardonyx. You've, you've argued that Rose has a non-tangible, non-physical room. Does I realise that, that, that it's a problem yeah, with my Do thing. you realise, do, do you, are you suggesting that Rose wasn't intended to have a room? I think Rose created her room afterwards to be that for Stephen. And I think that's why the room gives Stephen everything he wants, because I think it was made for him. Yeah, I can't give you everything you want because I, I won't be here to I hear your concerns. I also suspect sort of that Amethyst's room was given to her after the temple was built as an afterthought, because Amethyst's room is basically just like yeah, a but dumping they, ground. There is an Amethyst gem on the door, though. That could have been added afterwards. I realise I'm really just going, oh, no, no, there's, there's, there's a lot of, like... Things about your theory, and I still think I think we jumped to this way further ahead than we should have done because I think this is important to talk about when the the thing falls apart at the end of the episode. I just think it's worth talking about now because like Sardonyx has a room and like it's not like the other rooms. Okay, well we may come back to this at the end because okay. I think there are things to say about this based on like the information we get at the end of this episode. Um, so yeah, Sardonyx's room is a talk show. She has a mug that says, I hate, uh, I hate, I heart. <laughs> that's a bit strong. <laughs> I heart EC, which I assume is Empire City. And I assume that's the backdrop yeah, it's, behind her. It's meant to be New York. Blah, blah, yeah. Blah. It's, it's New York, also kind of Vegas. Yeah. What happens in the Big Apple never sleeps. Yeah, it's, it's meant to, you know, it's the talk shows with the New York skyline. And yeah. that's obviously what they're referencing. What is it? it? What happens in Empire City never sleeps. Yeah. yeah. It mash the slogans together. Um... Sardonyx tells terrible jokes and they please the deliberately easy to please fake audience she has invented for herself that just laughs at all her jokes. Yeah, we see it's set up to basically, he's laughing at everything. And the Sardonyx's laugh as well. Mm. Ha ha ha! 
<laughs> very annoying. Yeah. I, like, I, if, if I was actually friends with Sardonics, I'd be like, okay, dial it down I now. That's enough of that. I found her initially infuriating when she comes up in the, the tower, like, rebuilding, demolishing the tower episode. She grew on me a lot over time. I find her more tol- tolerable here, which she's still not a character I enjoy. I find her, like... I picture her as if, like, let's say you had a dad that was, like, told cheesy dad jokes and is also trying to be an amateur magician. That sounds awful. Uh, it's awful in, like, the most charming, endearing way. Like Phil Dunphy. Yeah, kind of. From Modern is, Family. Phil Dunphy, the jam. Yeah. Oh, that makes her more endearing now. I yeah. Like <laughs> exactly. They just want to tell, like, cheesy dad jokes and also maybe be a magician. I think the thing I don't like about Sardonyx is she lacks awareness of how other people are reacting to yeah. her. That's it. She's very it's, self-centered. Yeah, everything is always about how Sardonyx feels. Yeah. And, like, even this entire episode, it's all, this is the Sardonyx show. I'm just having exactly. you as a guest. Yes. You are the secondary purpose, mm. not the main yeah. thing. We, we definitely do have some stuff to bring up about yeah. that toward... Around the time that the whole break it unfusing happens, there is a lot of things to say about yeah. that, I think. Uh, Sardonyx pushes for Smoky Quartz to be more than she is. She dismisses what she can do and pushes on her what she can't. Smoky is new and lacking in self-confidence, and this whole episode from here from the beginning starts off with trying to push Smokey to do what she can't rather than praising her for what she can. Yeah, straight away in the beginning, Smokey shows what she's proud of. She's proud of the... Are you she? But I guess it's there. Yeah, I, I had that same moment th- during that sentence where I was like, I'm using she, and I don't know if if we ever canonically get pronouns confirmed, but I would assume they, because it's a fusion of a female and a... Um, exactly, like, yeah. A uh, gem that uses female pronouns, a gem that uses male pronouns. I would assume they. Yeah, I'll go with they. They so, feels like the safe choice. Yeah. That's what I do with Stavoni as well. Yeah. They. I'm pretty sure they is used canonically for Stavoni. Yeah. I've seen people say it is. I have never noticed it, but I am yeah. oblivious. Uh, it's probably just no. not noticing. I, I know for me, the reason why for Smokey, I so often default Sounds to... Like she, she's it's It's not the same It's not the same voice actress, I've been oh, told. Okay. It's a different voice is actress. It no, we incorrectly said in a previous Godcast episode that it was the same okay. voice actress as Amethyst. Well, that's an impressive imitation. In yeah. Case. It sounds an awful lot like Amethyst, and I hear that voice while, we're, like, while I'm thinking about lines that were said, and I think amethyst and yeah. i default to she pronouns which the, is my bad stevoni is designed in a way that i don't really specifically see steven or specifically see connie but when i see smoky quads i see amethyst smoky well, it is, yeah they are purple yeah it's as well there's not there's not much steven in Nah. In the, the, the appearance or the presentation of Smoky Quartz is leans a lot more amethyst than it does yeah. Stephen. It's just Stephen's costume, basically. Yeah. That's the only thing that Stephen seems to bring to a lot of the... Uh, <laughs> yeah. The, the main, main, thing, main thing he brought to Stavoni was... Uh, yeah. Just like, t-shirt. here's my t-shirt and shorts. Yay! Um, <laughs> so, yeah, as, as we're kind of going to say before we went off tangent... Um, yeah, straight away, Smokey shows off the yo-yo. Smokey shows off what they're proud of, and Sardonyx is like, that's yeah, completely yeah, we've forgettable. been there, yeah. seen that. And and s- what instead, else can you instead, do? Instead, Sardonyx measures Smokey Quartz against the people that make... Uh, made up of people that uh, make up Sardonyx, if that makes sense? Yes, based on, like, 
The components of sardonics, what can their fusions yeah, do? Yeah, it's kind of like, I'm impressed by Opal's bow and Sugalite's hammer. And like, so, isn't that what's so impressive? Yeah, but... two things. We did kind of talk about this in the episode we lost. Um, part of why she's so dismissive may be down to the yo-yo is shown off initially by Smoky Quartz as a toy. Yeah, like She's they not... do the kids thing of, this is called walking the dog, which like these, is an actual like yo-yo yeah, move. These are the yo-yo tricks I know that are for fun and are not practical applications. I understand that, but personally I don't think that redeems it. I still no, think... No, I'm not saying it no, redeems I'm, it. It doesn't make it, it okay. No, I think it is part of the reasoning for why Sardonyx views it that way. Yeah. And I think that's a bad thing. Yeah. I think yeah. that she's wrong to view it that way because of that, but I think that's the fact that led to her her perception of the yo-yo. I think that that is more Pearl being like, mm. well, it's just a silly toy. Yeah. You, you're just messing around. You can't mess around. Well, you need to be more like a crystal the, gem. The other thing I had in here was a question which we asked last time. What aspect of Pearl and Garnet led to this sort of oddly dismissive attitude? I think the thing that combines in them is expectation. Both... Pearl and Garnet have incredibly high expectations for both Stephen and Amethyst. So you're doubling the expectation because you're putting two people with those expectations together into a fusion. And you're doubling the expectations again because the expectations are now, oh, you two have fused together, you'll be able to do twice as much. And you get this exponential increase in expectation of what they should be able to do. I... The way I read it as well is that I think part of it is also that Pearl in particular is used to having to kind of drag the kind of talent and effort out of Amethyst yeah. and Stephen. Like Pearl does not naturally kind of think that... I like, like that expectation, wording. Yeah. I like... Pearl doesn't oh. look at Stephen and Amethyst and think... They're great crystal gems. Pearl looks at Stephen Amethyst and he's like, if only they worked harder, yeah, then they could if be If only great. they did X, Y, Z, then they'd be amazing So I think what gems. happening is Sardorx is kind of like, okay, you've got this inside you, but I need to kind of drag it out of you because yeah, on think your own, you're not going to do it. It's the potential, I think, is what they see, yes. which is why they have such massive expectations. I think it's untapped potential. Yeah. I think that's what it is. I think Pearl especially is used to looking and I think Garnet to an extent is used to looking at Garnet and not Garnet and just looking at Amethyst and Stephen and thinking they have untapped potential or they're not living up to their potential yeah. and I think with Sardonyx she's looking at Smoky Quartz and thinking they're not living up to their potential yeah. they're a fusion they should be able to do more than this well it, it's the like we've seen Pearl do it with Amethyst when she was like gosh Amethyst at least give Stephen something to like, at least try a little bit. Don't make it too easy for Steven. I, I do have one other thing that I think plays into this, is this fusion is a lot like Amethyst, and a lot of the things that Amethyst shows off her use of her powers with is things that are frivolous, like transforming into dog copter. She does a lot of things where it's like, look at this thing I can do. It's like, yeah, but it doesn't really serve any purpose. And it may, part of it may be, Ah, oh, the yo-yo, that's, that's Smoky Quartz's new thing of like, ah, oh, look what I can do. I think, yeah, I, th- I think it's also um, underestimating Amethyst's weapon in general. Like, the whip 
is obviously a very non-conventional weapon. Yeah. I don't think that's something that Pearl or Garnet really respects. Yeah. I think they would rather the, Amethyst be using a more conventional weapon. Like, Pearl's weapon is more about precision, and Garnet's weapon, like, no matter who she fuses with, Garnet's weapon is always something that is to do with physical force. Yeah, she always brings yeah. a brute strength Yeah, so I think that's why they don't respect the yo-yo. That sounds really weird. No, <laughs> respect the, the yo-yo, damn it. The yo-yo <laughs> and the whip both are dexterity-based weapons. Yeah. yeah. And, like, that's just just not a thing that either Pearl or Garnet use themselves. Um, they do not rely on agility for their roles. Exactly. Like um, you got to think a little differently. So we start seeing flashback footage of seasons of Steven, uh, Steven Universe and they all have underneath them a footage courtesy of Cartoon Network, which makes me chuckle. Yeah, it plays along with the ongoing joke of this being a talk this show. This being an actual talk show that we have to, like, you know, got to get the rights for this. Uh, I love how they also do that little reference as if we are the audience that Sardonyx has created. Because she, like, gestures yeah. towards the camera and she goes, my lovely audience. It's almost like fourth wall breaking. Yeah. I like the thought that we are, like, Steven Universe is just Sardonyx's show she's created. We're just watching the Sardonyx show. <laughs> yeah, and Uncle Grandpa created Sardonyx. Yeah. <laughs> Uncle Grandpa. Uncle Grandpa did everything. And Sardonyx created Uncle Grandpa. <gasps> it's like an unclosed time loop. <laughs> Let's not get into time loops. That was a whole thing when we did it last time. That's true. Um... Initially, we're testing smoky quartz to use Opal's bird arrow stuff, and uh, smoke, smoky quartz fails. Mm-hmm. Her strength is test based on, uh, based on like, oh, are you stronger than Sugalite? Sugalite's a fusion of three gems, and you're expecting two not terribly strong gems to that are clearly not based on brute force to be stronger than the brute force three gem. Did you notice on the strength test that Stevoni is placed higher than Pearl? Yes, I did. Interesting choice. Yeah, physical, like, human strength is apparently pretty strong compared to light projection. Three quarters human and one quarter gem is better than all of Pearl. Yeah, you got you got quite a lot of human in there. It's all good. Mm. That would make you feel kind of shitty, wouldn't it? Seeing yeah. that, like, wow, just two like kids about yeah, me, two kids get higher on me. Screw well, this. Again, she can put down the fact that like they're a fusion. I'm not. Yeah, I think that's what it's meant to be. Um, yeah, but she also very much looks down on humans, so she kind of be like two human children. Yeah, are Maybe better than me. Perhaps it's because she's thinking of Rose. Like, ooh, there's some Rose in there, so that really puts Yeah, her like, there. Rose is above me. Maybe that's the only reason they're above her, because she's like, Rose, Rose is always above me. Yeah, she, she can't put Rose underneath the cell. Like, <laughs> I think she'd quite like to put Rose oh, underneath the <laughs> cell. I knew that was coming. Um, so, yeah, these are all tests based on, like, this is clearly not what your aptitude is. Are you better than the gem that, like, this is their whole thing? Mm. It goes back to the whole goldfish tree thing. Yeah. I also like the thing of... Um, I don't know, I can't remember. <laughs> you uh, have no idea it might what be what like. I was going to bring up. Is it the whole, uh, she wasn't actually in this episode, do we have to pay her thing? Is that what you were going to yes, bring up? Yes, that is exactly what yes. I was going to say. So there is a line that is, she wasn't actually in this episode. Do we still have to pay her? Yes? Fair enough. Yeah. And this is clearly a reference to them using footage of Sugalite, who is voiced by Nicki Minaj, mm-hmm. and them being like, this isn't new dialogue she recorded. Do we still have to pay her? Oh, she does still get royalties. Okay, fine. Yeah, there'll be something in the contract, I'm sure. Yeah. So apparently, Nicki Minaj got paid when they reused a clip of her. Oh, so like go probably like voice actor unions that that secured that deal yep. that that worked well for <laughs> you. 
Actually, that's a good point, because if they hadn't done that, probably Sugalite would turn up and every time just say the same line. Yeah, you would think so. Just make some roars and kind of, <laughs> just smash things. Um, I do hope Sugalite gets to come back at some point. Yeah, I really hope that they can work things out so that they can get Nicki Minaj yeah. back on to do some more Sugalite. Like, I Because, like, Sugalite has been on since that first episode. She turns up very briefly to destroy the tower after yeah. it's revealed that uh, Pearl was lying to me. Yeah, because right, she has no dialogue, no dialogue at all. I th- didn't we have this discussion? I seem to remember her having dialogue that was something like "Let's let's get this over with," but that that ultimately, I think that was Garnet. Yeah, it was Garnet before they fused. Yeah. She goes, "Let's in just my get head, this over in with." In my head, Sukalite says that. I don't. Think no, I don't think know. she does. I think I'm wrong on this. I think we've had this discussion. Yeah. But I still, when I picture that scene, I picture Sugalite saying it. And my Mandela effect. Maybe <laughs> I'm from a universe in which Sugalite did say it. And then I Maybe. crossed over to this universe. It makes sense. The, the Laura from this universe, you killed and replaced. Oh, yeah. It's a bit Rick and Morty. How did we not notice? Oh, no. We're it's terrible fine. friends. No, the Laura from this universe died. And I just kind of used a like, Rick and Morty style portal to come over here and replace her. Makes sense. Fine. She's buried in the back garden. Oh, that <laughs> yeah. explains where that mound came from. <laughs> Um, but yeah, one thing I mentioned on the last episode that I'm going to quickly mention now before I forget. <laughs> yes. um, I've seen a lot of people say, oh, it's a shame Sugalite will never come back. But it's possible. All they need to do is just convince her to accept a fairly low pay grade for how big she is. Because yeah. in Clone I want Wars, her to have a song. Oh, that would be amazing. I think that would be the reason to get her yeah. back and where they'll get her is they'll say, look, I, like they, they are quite often cast singers and it's like, please get her back. And be like, hey, we'd love to get your character to do a song. It's part of why we cast you in the first place. Would you be happy to do it just so we can get a song from you and maybe get some closure for fans as to what's going on with your character? Yeah. But um, the example I was going to use is um, in Clone Wars, Liam Neeson um, does return for a guest role, which is pretty cool. They said basically they're... They reached out to him and were like, hey, we're going to just have to pay you the amount that we would pay any guest out. It's not a lot of money. Would you be okay with coming back for this? And he just said, yeah, that'll be fun. Why not? Yeah, like, my my worry is that potentially Nicki Minaj is like, you're basically asking for this to be a new Nicki Minaj song. (laughs) And, like, that (laughs) is the thing when you are specifically a singer and you're brought back onto a show with a lot of singing, it's either she's demanding a song and they don't know where to put it, or... Oh, okay, you want me to do a song? It's going to cost money because this will be a Nicki Minaj song. I think also having a Nicki Minaj song, there is kind of an expectation of quality. And I think you would also have to get a they have a sell. Well, yeah, but what I mean is like at this point in her career, she would probably only agree if she can guarantee that it'll be of quality with her other music. You you say that. There have been bigger examples of weirder things. Like my favourite one still is... um, my Chemical Romance doing a song for the children's show Yo Gabba Gabba. Okay, cool. uh, In which they sung a song called Every Snowflake's Different. Yeah. A, a song about every snowflake's different, just like you. That's and, true. You know, they Maybe were, I they were am great. kind of um, giving Nicki Minaj a kind of diva persona <laughs> that is not deserved. I, I think, think it's because you're getting the character of Sugalite as Nicki Minaj, yeah. which I, is, it feels so good I to be, be me. I, I believe how. I'm, like, correct me, audience, if I'm wrong on this, but I think it's Nicki Minaj who. Um, once, like, someone asked her on Twitter, some fan was just like, look, I'm struggling to pay college tuition, you, like, any oh, chance you could, yeah, yeah, yeah. you could help. And she's just like, yep, show me your grades, if you pass, I'm paying your tuition. She paid off a and lot. She I paid know. off a bunch of people. She was like, look, if you get, if you get above this grade, 
let me know. I'm paying your tuition. And she just paid a bunch of people's yeah. tuitions. She doesn't seem like she's a huge diva or that she's... Oh, that she's not She's not obsessed with... Yeah. I mean, it's well for her coming yeah. back because if she's not that obsessed She's happy money, to do then... things that make her happy to use that money to, you know, yeah, do so good things. Yeah, so presumably she would accept a lower pay for coming back. Also, yeah. yes, Retta Smudge is on the countertop. Do you want me to go get her while you continue Please talking? Do. Give me one second to set up the next talking point. Um... <laughs> Let's have a look. Alexandrite has flame breath. Do you, Smokey? Clearly not. Uh, Smokey Quartz is really not feeling up to trying all of these things she's being tasked with. This is when we get the bit where Smokey's low confidence is coming out. It's kind of heartbreaking because we go from the point where Smokey Quartz is so excited to show herself off. Yes, that is smudge meowing in the background. Smokey Quartz <laughs> is so excited to show herself off. And then she reaches the point where she's kind of like... She, she's well, she feeling like she can't do anything. Yeah, like she starts to make more and more self-depreciating jokes. It's still zero plus zero is still zero. Yeah, I, it's just like, I have oh, the transcript no. of her jokes here. Uh, yeah, because... Sardonic's questions like there's got to be some common thread between Amethyst and Stephen that's heightened by their fusion. Obviously, it's their lack of self-confidence and their doubt and feelings of inadequacy. Um, I guess zero plus zero equals zero. Um, They say two wrongs don't make a right. I guess I'm living proof that that's true. And then it gets really dark. This one's like not a joke, but the audience keep laughing. I'm just one big super wrong good for nothing dud with a yo-yo. And the audience aren't laughing with her, they're laughing at yeah, her. it's clever because you see that at this point Sardonyx is uncomfortable. Yeah, because like, kind of like... This is not how she wanted things to go. Yeah, she's like, no, 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 this is meant to be a fun little game of you showcasing your things. Like, why are you suddenly getting upset yeah, and they yeah. don't seem to quite understand at first? Yeah, there's, there's something really interesting about the line that Sardonyx says before she unfuses where the words she says tell us that she's about to unfuse and I didn't pick up on it till this reading. Uh, they wanted to impress us. Yeah. yeah. Um, they they were planning this all morning. We hijacked their show. I was excited. It's not all about us. Sardonyx flip-flops back and yeah. forth between I am an individual and I am the two of us. I read that as that's Garnet talking to Pearl. Yeah. Yeah. They're basically, I think Garnet has figured it out. Pearl the, the, has not I was it excited out. is clearly Garnet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, the flip-flopping between we... Us and I, I think, is the the starting to fall apart, which goes really nicely to the next episode we have, which is all about being in harmony with each mm-hmm. other and not falling apart as a yeah. fusion. Well, I think the theme of these episodes is basically being mindful of other people's emotions. Yeah. I, I hadn't realised until, like, literally right now that this episode leads so nicely thematically into the next one of yeah. being about fusions falling apart and how to keep yourselves together as a fusion. Is the next one Buddy's book? No, the next... Oh, is it? Uh, it is Buddy's book. Okay, yeah, it's okay. Buddy's book okay. and then... Uh, the reason I didn't know that is I don't have the transcript up for Buddy's book because there's nothing I needed the transcript for. Uh, the, the episode after next, still same point. It's, it's, it's leading. Batch. It's leading up to something very that comes very yeah. soon. And, like, it's a very nice explanation of why we have Here Comes a Thought. Mm-hmm. Um... So, yeah, Sardonyx feels bad for ruining Smokey's attempt to impress. Sardonyx unfuses and the room starts to fall apart. Mm-hmm. And this is where we get into the whole, we get evidence that if a fusion isn't together, the room falls apart. Yeah. Do we think this is the case for all the rooms? I, I don't know. I've said my piece. <laughs> I, I'm not going to say the thing I said like in the episode we, we got rid of, where I tried to argue them as basically like a pocket dimension where like... 
if you're in if you're inside it when the fusion isn't there then it falls apart but if they fuse outside of it it's just like the doorway that doesn't exist and you can't be through the doorway without being fused yeah it's I tried to explain it like that, and I'm like, yeah, it seems a little overcomplicated. I think, honestly, I think you might have something with these. Some of the rooms are physical, and some of them are yeah. not. I wouldn't want to nail down which ones are which, because I think we would fall into plot yeah. holes. But I think this <laughs> idea of some of the rooms were physically made within the big statue, and over time they realised, oh, fusions, and the door just kind of adapted to that. Yeah, that, that's kind of what I think. I don't know... Like, like, why or how the other rooms have appeared. But my theory, yeah, to sum up, is I think some are physical, some are kind of magically created yeah. through the fusion. Um, so, yeah, the room starts to fall apart and Smoky Quartz saves Garnet and Pearl. And this episode ends really nicely because we get a lot of very nice conversation about, like, the, this realisation that Smoky Quartz does have a lot to offer and that they need to just that Pearl and Garnet need to just shut up and praise praise Stephen and, and Amethyst for what they did well. Mm-hmm. I see it as almost like parents being like, "Oh, you made that thing. That's really cool. Tell me more yeah. about it." Like for, letting them have yeah. their moment. For, for once, the pair of them feel good about their abilities and their powers. Just let them have this moment. Yeah. Don't steal this victory from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amethyst, you've been such a good influence on Stephen. Ah. Uh, anything else we wanted to say on this episode? I think that is everything. Like, I had a note at the end, but we've kind of already gone over it. It's just me kind of banging that drum of the yo-yo is special and important, and Smoky Quartz was proud of the yo-yo, but Sadonix yeah. was... They are already thing. special, is how like, I've ended it. Yeah, it's the judging Smoky Quartz against um, things that she's not, rather than what... I'm having they a bit are. of a. I'm just gonna say I'm having a bit of a laugh on the episode because uh, Mia is scratching at some eczema and Retta keeps slapping her hand away. Yeah. And it's quite amusing to yeah. watch. I have been in lots of salty foods lately, and whenever I eat lots of salty foods, my eczema flares up. So I have kind of like eczema flaring up my arms occasionally. I am trying to itch it, and Retta is like, slapping do you, my. Do you want hand? me to I help Retta? Actually, slap your hand though, because I don't want it to be picked up on the podcast, and people are like, "Oh my are, god, Retta beating are up Are you Mia? saying that if the podcast wasn't recording, you would just slap me? Yeah. You generally do. Well, this all started because I requested that you knock my hand away if you catch me itching. Because what I was hoping is that that would kind of put into my brain, itching equals pain. Don't itch. Okay, well, next time, don't push Mia's hand away. Slap Mia across <laughs> the face. Yeah, do it. It's a request. Also, surely scratching not. equals pain already because no. you're scratching eczema. No, this you... is the thing. Scratching eczema feels amazing. This if, is true. If anyone's listening who's got eczema, I'm sure they'll be nodding along. <laughs> that when you scratch eczema, it feels fantastic. It feels <laughs> but it does really make nice. it worse and then it spreads. Yeah, but then what happens is you do it more and more and it spreads and then it eventually becomes even more tempting to itch it. It's just a whole... Well, I... I have gotten so used to slapping Mia's hand away when she itches at eczema that I now do it in my sleep. Yes, may may, may I like have permission? If you do it during this episode, I will boop you with the Sprite bottle. No, oh, that sounds aggressive and painful. <laughs> okay, that wasn't so bad. <laughs> oh, don't do it there. Do it like, on the top of the head. Like, <laughs> do it somewhere where it's annoying, but like, just like, I'll be like, yeah. Okay. yeah. okay. <laughs> I feel like I have to describe what you were doing there. You were basically repeatedly just like, Threatening to hit me with the bottle over, like, my eyeballs. <laughs> so but just... not actually doing it. No. Nah. Would that be a deterrent? I guess so, but... 
<laughs> I'm quite frightened of itching. Well, then don't itch. Yeah, I, I guess that fulfills the purpose. Should we uh, do the next episode? Yeah, the next episode is episode 106, Buddy's Book. Uh, Stephen and Connie ride Lion to the library. And they park in. Boop, boop. <laughs> Patty's butt, like the lucky lion. And then he's, before we go, Stephen goes, he's not going to go anywhere now. And Lion's cat. just he's, like, yeah. I'm a freaking cat. I'm not going to stay here because you it's want me to. Thing. Stephen wants Lion to be a dog, but Lion is a cat. I mm-hmm. love that Lion is a cat and not a dog. Um, Connie is amazed that Stephen's never been to a library because they contain Stephen's favourite thing, which is apparently books. books. Was this ever established? We had this discussion on that. Yeah, it, to me, it, this felt out of the blue. And I've heard your explanations for it. I still think it feels like... I don't think they do the legwork to suggest that books are Stephen's favourite thing. I think his favourite thing's food. I feel like when... The they sh- have moved away from that, though. I feel like the premise for the programme, like in the first season, I definitely think they had this idea that Stephen is the kind of gluttonous child who adores food. He has a backpack that's a cheeseburger. Exactly. But I think they moved away from that. And I think oh. now we see Stephen getting very excited about... He's kind of becoming more nerdy. We, in, we know that in... he's read two books. Well, I'm, I, I think... He has watched more movies Wasn't than like that and played... Wasn't there like five in that series? He read well, the No Homeboys series. Okay, well that's what I mean. Yeah. Is he read the No Homeboys and he read that fantasy series that Connie liked. Yeah, the whole um, Harry Potter meets but like, material. I'm pretty sure we've seen him play a larger number of video games and watch a larger number of movies and TV shows than books. It just, it didn't feel earned to me, this character choice. That's... Mm, it's not necessarily the case though. Like... I would say that I vastly prefer books over television shows and over video games, Um, but that being said, I have played a hell of a lot more video games and watched a lot more TV. I'm not saying that it's not possible for a person to be like that, but for a TV show character, if you say something's their favourite thing, you usually expect the show to have laid groundwork for that. Here's the way that I read it. I think Stephen has grown up thinking TV and video games and everything are awesome. Never bothered with books. Then I think Connie came along was kind of like, hey, look, books are a thing. They have these stories in them. And I think Stephen has become really excited. Like, wow, books. And yeah. books are still fresh and new and Again, exciting. I like that, but none of that is in the show. Like, that is a theory you've entirely had to make out of nothing. It could also be that this is a children's it's... cartoon and they like the idea of showing that the protagonist enjoys reading because kids should read I more. very much like that, but again, maybe pepper more of that into your show. Like, it, it seems like a weird character choice to say this is his favourite thing after we've seen a lot of him in the show and it's not really been a common theme. Perhaps. I don't know. I don't think anything you say is going to change my mind on that. I but... like that this very fast throwaway line. The line is literally books, and we're like, we need to discuss this. Well, no, the line is that they're his favourite thing. Let's get, not okay, downplay how big so. a line it is. <laughs> I guess so. Um, I don't know. Like The way that I kind of see it as well is that it is his way of bonding with Connie. So it's his favourite thing because it's his friendship it's with that Connie. Them together. I like that. Yeah, That's... like that is his favourite thing. It's actually wow. the relationship with Connie. The... But they were brought together by the books. The last suggestion I have is that maybe Stephen doesn't say they're his favourite thing. Connie says they're his favourite thing. She thinks it's it his favourite thing. It's, it's the thing they talk about because it's the thing they have in common because yeah. it's the thing she's allowed. And therefore, maybe Stephen doesn't talk about films and games because she's not allowed yeah. them. 
from her perspective, it's his favourite thing. And she could also be kind of projecting, being like, books are yeah. my favourite thing, therefore they should be your favourite thing. Th- like, that's the one explanation that maybe works for me, uh-huh. is that Connie thinks they're his favourite thing, even though that might not be accurate. Um, the, we know one of the books that Connie has on the table in the library. We talked about this in the last mailbag episode. Yes. Uh, Connie has a book about repairing broken pottery using gold. Don't hide the break. Celebrate the fact that the the object has lived a life by highlighting the, the yes. breaks and being like, the breaks are now part of what makes this beautiful. Exactly. And this leads on to the next episode, which is Mindful Education, where it's about don't ignore the breaks, you know, look at them, pay attention to them, see them for the beautiful things that they are, and, you know, embrace them. Don't hide them. I'm glad you basically just machine-gunned through everything we talked about last time, because I cannot be bothered talking about this for a third time. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I, I was like, there we go, the point done. Yeah, we did there it. There we go. Next. Um, Stephen finds a book with a blank cover, and it turns. It, it looks from the initial glances through it like it could be a Stephen Universe concept art book. Concept yeah. art book? How I, I know how to do concept art and art book. Concept I don't know where art, to art book. Yeah, I don't know where to put the emphasis on concept art book. Concept art. Concept book. art. Concept art book. Concept art book. <laughs> I don't know how to. You're gonna those say three that words. so much that it's gonna just sound like nothing. Yeah. Uh, it's a. Yeah, the thing is, like, they flip through the pages and the art It's a book is... of concept art. Yes. It's a book of concept that's art. Not, there we go. That's <laughs> what I'm going with. Um, the art is clearly of such a high quality that it was previously used concept art. Yes, this is, like, legit concept art they just threw into yes, this book. Um, the way that I got to the way that it sound it would sound okay, I was playing it in my head in different ways and going, right, which one sounds norm? I think we were all trying it. Yeah. You were the first one to get there. Uh, I like the fact that we're all, we're all like okay. slowly losing the meaning of concept and art. And say, books. Say, and books. <laughs> concept books. art book? Concept book is a weird word. Like book. 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 It's something like a book. sound. Book. Like. book is an okay book. word to me because it sounds, it's got kind of the, the sort of gentle thud sound to the word that if you like dropped like a book onto a table gently it would be like book oh, it's like but a you also type thing. It, yeah. it also sounds like it doesn't have the o's in it's just yeah it's not a yeah. book it, it's yeah. a slightly onomatopoeic book. word that you could kind of put a book down and have it sound like book Oh, I, um, I want to look up where book came. Not now, but... I Mayor Dewey founded Beach City. I just put my notebook down. It makes that little sound. Listen, Mia, listen. That's kind that of book. That sounds kind of like the word book. Sort of. I, I would have gone more, like, pook. <laughs> anyway, Mayor Dewey fa- uh, founds Beach City. First mate Buddy wants to make a name for himself now that, like, Mayor Dewey is the one that everyone knows because he founded Beach City. I will do something great with my life. Um, we highlight the fact that everyone is picturing Buddy as Jamie. Yeah, I like that, that straight away they're like, the thing that we as an audience are seeing is not what took place, it's Stephen and Connie's imagined version they, they of They acknowledge that they're, they're guessing what people look yeah, like, like and putting their own spin on these he things. He did not look like Jamie, they're imagining him as Jamie because... Because he played the character yeah, in their play. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing as like, I don't know if you do this, but um, like with Hamilton, whenever yeah. I think of Alexander Hamilton... You I think of Lin Manuel Manuel Miranda, and yeah, not, like a white guy. Yeah, like whenever I see like the pictures of the white guy, I'm just like, who the hell's that? That's I, not who I, I, I will think ad- it I will is. Admit that. Like, um, I read um, Ron Cherney, I think his name is, like mm. his the biography of Hamilton. Yeah. Really good book. And that's like what the musical is based on. I highly yeah. recommend everyone reads that. It's really interesting. Um, but yeah, as reading it, I had to try and be like. 
put what I should I be need. picturing a white guy. Okay, I know what George Washington looks like from the paintings, but that's not who I see while I'm reading this book. Because <laughs> you share a birthday with George Washington. I do. We share a birthday. That's unfortunately all we have in common. I say unfortunately, George Washington had some monstrous qualities. He, he owned, owned people. He owned people and he had wooden teeth, but he did own up to it when he chopped down a cherry tree that one time and that made him the paragon of truth, I guess. <laughs> There's debated accounts about how that came. About, yeah, anyway. Read his biography, also by Ron Chernu, to find out the real answer behind the wooden teeth. Uh, we go to. Are, a... you, are you getting paid to advertise? <laughs> no, I just think he's a really good biographer. Buddy goes to a field full of swords. It's a field of sorts. Or should I say, swords? He's, he's trying to do wordplay. Yeah. Like, it sets up the end of this episode that he clearly wants to be a bit flowery yeah. with words. I apologise, because I realise you're trying to wrestle this back on track and I keep derailing it. Go but on. the field of the weapons in is based on a real thing. I was going to pass this over to you if you gave me, like, two seconds. Tell us about the field full of swords. Well, if I was more prepared, I would have looked this up again in between. You had a week but... to look this up. I did. Did you look this up in the meantime? No, there's an art installation somewhere in the world where someone made a bunch of giant weapons and put them in a field. The thing is, in that place in Europe that Buddy goes, and we've seen in the past, which is the field where the kind of leftover weapons are there, presumably Bismuth's weapons left. Yeah, probably. Um, I figured one theory that I had is that it's the weapons that were dropped when the gems were corrupted. Like, they just kind of dropped where they were. They're not light projections. Yeah, because they stay after the gems bubbled. So I think it's more likely they're Bismuth's weapons. Because she's the one that made all the physical weapons in the war. Do their weapons... Yeah, yeah, their weapons, the don't, weapons don't continue to exist after they no. poof. If Amethyst dropped her whip and then was poof, the whip would poof. The whip would not remain. We don't is... know that. We've never seen no, it. No, the, the whip is part of her. We yeah. know that. It's a light projection. Like, Rose's <laughs> shield does not physically yeah. exist. Rose's uh, sword does. We, we know this. Yeah, this is the difference, is... Stephen can summon the shield, he can't summon the sword because the sword is a physical object that exists somewhere in the world, whereas the shield is a thing that he can create, throw, it disappears, he creates another one, throws it. That suggests there were a hell of a lot of people that were in Rose's army because business were working for Rose. They don't build weapons when they're in the traditional role, they build towers. Unless Bismuth built a lot of weapons because gems kept getting destroyed and having their weapons taken by Homeworld. Or were there humans fighting with the crystal gems? A lot of humans lost their lives in the war, Greg does say, Mm. in the van as they're fleeing Beach City. So it may be that humans wielded some of them. That would go along with the whole, like, the armour of the... Something? The armour of the seven? I wanted to say seven, but I was like, am I getting a mix with the lions? Seven seems to be a significant number. I thought number. it was like the armor of the fallen. It might Maybe. be something. Yeah. Whatever like it is, that. the armor that's in lion. It looks like, like humans yeah. were wearing that. Um, so yeah, the crystal gems get pictured wearing uh, period-appropriate outfits. Yeah, uh, sort they're of like, like, oh, this was old-timey, so it's like colonial-type yes. outfits. Uh, Buddy is given a map of gem locations and told not to visit them. Um, I think that Garnet like tries to slyly imply that he should go to them because he it, she, she knows that it will lead him to Rose who will get him to found the yeah. library eventually. The way that I read this is Garnet knows what's going to happen. So Garnet's like, wink, wink, don't go to those places. But Pearl yeah. is sincerely like, no, these are our places. Do not go there. But it's still the thing of Pearl being very literal. Yes. When like yes. Stephen yes. says, and Pearl threw out a stick of butter. <laughs> 
And yeah. she's like, why would you say that? I didn't do that. Yeah, Garnet understands nuance and sarcasm and kind of wordplay, but yeah. Pearl is very literal. Uh, so yeah, Buddy goes adventuring to all these places on the map. He comes across the mural that we've seen before, but not really yes. talked about in yeah. depth. Uh, we see rubies. Well, I say rubies. That's how I see them. Backing up Rose Quartz. Yeah, They're like we, very small, stocky fighters. Yeah. Rose is depicted as very large. However, the diamond she's fighting is around the same size. And I'm wondering if the reason Rose is depicted as large is because it's kind of embellishing her and being kind of like, she's the big kind of leader. Or it and... was drawn by a gem that is small and therefore has to look up at both Rose and the diamonds. Potentially. The point I do want to mention is that the diamond that Rose is seemingly fighting here, um, on her chest, she has a triangle, not a diamond. And that makes me think that this is after Pink Diamond is shattered and therefore the bottom of the diamond is missing. Or it's not a diamond, it's a different gem. It looks a lot like it's a diamond. Potentially. like Because the diamonds we later see, like blue and yellow diamond, do have full diamonds on them. Maybe it's cubic zirconia. Pretend Maybe. diamonds. Oh, That's a good one. it's. I hadn't thought about that. Fake diamonds. I think it's white diamond just because the hair. Yeah, but that's a, why I said cubic zirconia. Yeah, a lot of because they are white. There's the clear crystals, and they use them in place of diamonds because it's cheaper. Yeah. A lot of people have suspected it's white diamond. I do like your cubic zirconia theory. That's I've an interesting one. That. Um, we also see like. We see Rose using like a diamond-shaped focus. That's the way I describe it. Like yeah, a magic, focus. like a magical object. Um, I think. What are you pointing at, right? Uh, Those. The oh, things on my ring. The things on uh, your ring are probably cubic yeah. That would be a cubic zirconia. Okay. Doesn't translate okay. well in a podcast, but thank you. I know, but I was trying to point it out to you I, without you, you pointing it out. Oh, but then I you just went and pointed it out I, anyway. I, I ruined everything. Um, yes, she seems to be kind of channeling her power through like a focus, an item or something in front of yeah, her, like which, a gem or something. It's odd because again, we know Rose tended to use a sword. Yes. There's questions about this mural. I hope we eventually oh. get. Yeah, I feel like we will. Are you okay, right? I yawned my jaw cracked it was just quite painful all right little poppy jaw i forgot you have your clicky jaw yeah i don't know if people know this i have a weird thing where if i open either side of my mouth too much my jaws click yeah you haven't haven't shown me that in a while i'd forgotten about that (laughs) uh we continue going through the book and the book foreshadows the palanquin yes pink diamond's palanquin is there yeah i had forgotten this so presumably like buddy was going around and saw all these things after rose was my first thought was like, is this after? Is this after Pink Diamond has been shattered? I, this is after the Gem War because Buddy runs into Amethyst and Amethyst. Oh, is and the field the of yeah. the, the the field of swords yeah. isn't you know in combat, so it's more re- reassurance that Pink Diamond isn't around. At I this think point. this is meant to be like the late seventeen hundreds, so well after the Diamond uh, War. Yeah, they've war. been there what five thousand? Yeah, years? like this is a long time after I think. Um, I've written down here, and I don't remember the context for this. Hey, buddy. Yes, it is me. Oh, is that in the kindergarten? It's uh, Amethyst goes up and goes, hey, buddy, just like oh. trying to say hello. Yeah. And he's like, yes, it is I, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Because it turns out to be his name. I like the reference um, to Amethyst's favourite rock in this, where she's yes. like, oh, how are you doing? And it's the rock we see yeah. her talking to before. She's like, oh, you've grown, or something like that. Because yeah. when she see- sees it with Stephen, she goes, oh, you've lost weight. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's the callback to like Amethyst was all alone when she came out, so she made friends with the rock. Yeah, and she's like, this was my favourite rock, yay! Uh, at this point, Steve, uh, uh, Buddy realises that he's been following in other people's footsteps, not actually exploring, because Amethyst kind of points out, if someone gave you a map to these places, you're not really discovering them. Yeah, he calls himself a tourist. Yes. Which he is distraught at being Yeah. So instead, she tries to set him on the right track, and she says, look, here's a vague area to search for an ever-moving and reforming castle that nobody can find. I have a, a point that I want to bring up here. I wonder if it's the same one I'm going to bring is up. Is the castle where the Nora cape is? Is that Rose's things? Oh! Is that why Lion couldn't teleport straight to it? Because Lion didn't know where it was, because it always moves. That's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that. Because Stephen specifically says, Lion, why, why can't we just teleport next to it? Yeah. And perhaps it's because it always <gasps> moves. I had a different thing to say about okay, that. Cool. Which is that surely Buddy should have picked up on, if someone's told you there is an ever-moving sand, uh, sand castle <laughs> in the desert, that means someone's seen it before, which means that seeing yeah. it alone isn't enough to be an explorer. Someone knows it exists. Yeah. yeah, someone knows it exists, therefore he hasn't discovered that it exists because mm. well, someone told the, him. there is the whole argument here the kind of we do hear a lot in um i don't know in, in what i don't know why i said that the whole idea of like did it explorers get credit for discovering things but it's like did they really discover it it was already there and people yeah. lived there and like it's all christopher columbus thing he's seen as like being a yes. hero and it's like well for starters the vikings went to america before you did dude yeah and also like people lived there and like you didn't validate this land just because you came from yeah. europe also he didn't actually find it um like coastal United States America, he found Guam. Well, yeah, and he yeah. wasn't—he wasn't even trying to go to America. He was no. going somewhere else entirely. He found Guam and killed like seventy percent of the people there, and then left. Yeah, he's a monster. He's a horrible, horrible person. Yeah, he's a person that should never have had a day dedicated to him. And the only, apparently the only reason he's famous is that like when a lot of Italian immigrants were coming over and were looked very poorly upon by the people who had settled in America before that, Italian immigrants settled on the tail, like this, uh, there was an, a, a fictionalised version of Columbus's journey that they took as gospel and were like, look, here's this Italian, like, Italian hero of, like, Americanism. He found America. And they pushed for a holiday to celebrate him so that they wouldn't get persecuted. That is interesting. I have, yeah, I have apparently it was to prevent the persecution of the Italians when they moved to America. Also, despite the lyrics, did not believe the world was round. No, he he he. Uh, no, didn't believe it was flat. He no, knew it was round. No, no, that's the thing. He didn't. He didn't think it was round. He thought. Oh no, was... he thought it was pear shaped. Yes, he did. He yeah. knew he he didn't think it was round, but he did think you could. Go in a circle. Yeah, because the whole it. thing they laughed when he said the world was round. He never said it was round because he didn't no. believe it was round. Yeah, it's not that he believed it was round. Everyone already sold round globes. Yeah. He just like was like, oh, it's smaller at the top. So if we go up, then sideways, yeah. we'll get there faster. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that was his theory. Yeah, so there you go. He gets a lot of credit, and he's a bad person, and not a very intelligent one either. Yeah. Um. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, Buddy almost melts to death in the desert because he doesn't want to take off his coat because he needs to be seen as an explorer. That's part of his identity. Yeah. Uh, Rose mm. finds Buddy. She has seven normal lions, three male, four female. One of those three male lions is presumably lion. lion. Yeah. There is one in particular that she seems to have extra affinity yeah, for. Yeah, and, and it like seems most cat-like as well. Yeah. yeah. I read that to be I assume lion. it's the one with the mane that she's most cuddled up with in this yeah. episode is the one that is lion as we know. She will and one I'm day. just like, it makes me sad. It's gonna die. Yeah, yeah so it's like, you're gonna die. It's, it's like, I want... 
That means out. Lion died after the Genoa. So how yeah. did Lion die? Well, it might have died of old age. Well, this is the thing. Oh, is, yeah, maybe. Yeah, then. we know that Lion... Like, this has to be within a lion's natural lifespan of when we get pink lion. Mm-hmm. That's true. So my assumption is the lions are all dying off and this is the last one to die and she's very sad and she cries and or licks it, maybe, <laughs> and it comes back to life. That makes sense. I, I like the idea that it's the last one to die. Because well, yeah. I feel like it's either the last one she's like, oh shit, I have no more lions, I'm really upset. Or she's like, I'm really upset about this line, and then the other time she's like, eh, no yeah. gonna bother about that and one. I thought that, like, it seems really kind of mean that it's like, yeah. I'm gonna save the one, but fuck you guys, yeah, I don't need why, you. That's why I assume it's the last one to die, is that she's like, oh shit, if I'd realised this earlier, <laughs> I could have yeah. had seven like, pink lions. They're all rotted now, so yeah. I can't, can't go back. Then there'd be loads um, of trees. Yeah, Rose points out the the sand castle to Buddy, meaning that she saw it first. And then she does her whole speech. Sure, all of these places have been explored before, but they've never been described in this kind of detail, with this sort of passion. She gives this whole speech of, like, you have explored them and noted down about them in a way that we never thought to. Yeah, I absolutely love it because it's it's what Rose does. Rose finds the people who are kind of a bit confused or and kind of self-conscious. shows them what they're good at. Like, no, no, that thing you think is bad is amazing. This is yeah. why you're amazing. She brings people up. And, and I love that. She's... And it's also the thing of everyone's opinion counts. Yeah. Yes. It's like but your opinion of these things is what makes it important. Your insight, there. Your insight yeah. is beautiful. She's such a wonderful role model. Yeah, she's wonderful. And but then she does she... some really shitty things. Oh, yeah. yeah, I was going to say like... She's a war criminal, I guess. Yeah. But... She's, she's and she also allows of... Pearl to grovel at her feet yeah. all the time. Like, she's not a good person, but she she at times brings out really good things in people. I think it, that's actually a really good point because that's what people are like. Like, we, you know, people yeah. are, do Pe- tend to have kind of hero Pe- worship. It's people natural. People are messy and they do shitty things yeah. and they also do beautiful, wonderful things and they're a mismatch of all of that. Yeah, yeah. And no one's perfect. Like That's why I love that all the characters have the episodes where it's like, this character is majorly yeah. flawed. Everyone has their Because this is how it works in real life. So, yeah. like, maybe if someone you think is a hero does something that you think is slightly out of character, you shouldn't just... demonise them because, you know, everyone does things and maybe you should look at things from different perspectives. Yeah, yeah and... try Try <laughs> thinking a little differently. Maybe yeah. don't give someone a week from hell because they did one thing that you disagree with in spite of all the things they did yeah, prior exactly. to that that you were a fan of and yep. give them the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. That's that's totally not what I was insinuating. Yeah, all. we're not referring to anything that's happened recently. Nope, nope, sorry. Yeah, it's not like we all went to bed, you know, worried about what was going to happen or if we were in danger, you know? Yeah, it's, it's... it's all good, it's all good. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I had a shitty week. That's what we're referring to. Twitter was not nice this week. Anyway, uh, Rose suggests that Buddy become a an author. He fills out an entire library and we see a painting of him and it turns out he looked nothing like Jamie. Yeah, oh well. Oh well. The end. <laughs> I, I know he kind of rushed through that ending, but it's kind of just... Oh, yeah, yeah. done. It's, there it's we go. It's a fun little kind of endearing ending. I like it. It's a good episode. Yeah. Anything else to say on that one, Retta? No, I've uh, that's me on that. Okay. And with that, Retta has had to leave us in between uh, episodes. Oh my because... god, she just vanished all of a sudden. <gasps> Where did she go? <laughs> she just, just disappeared. No, recording this episode like two and a half times, I think she got to a point she was like, 
I'm, I'm done. I need to lie down. You can finish this without me. She has left us with some notes of particular yeah. things she wants to make I, sure we say. I want to quickly uh, mention, it is health related that she's gone. She's yeah. not just doing the prima donna thing and be like, no, no, I'm done. You've had my time. I'm the talent. Yeah, I'm I was leaving. I was hoping that would be clear from the context that like I was joking. But yeah, she's had yeah, to leave the health yeah. stuff. So she's left us a notebook with like uh, four or five things that she wants to make sure that we, we say and make sure we attribute yes, them to her because so she has good ideas. Not only is she kind of here in spirit, but her ideas are actually still here. And you know where else she is? She's also here listening in the past, because she <laughs> listens back, even the episode she's on, she listens back to, so, true. hey Retta, how was Plants vs. Zombies that you went to play at this point? Was You're it good? playing it right now, but also I'm not playing it right now, because time is you, strange. You might be playing it right now. Are you listening while you play more? <laughs> Who knows? Oh my god, this is kind of confusing. So, Retta is here, her ideas are here, and she is here in that she's experiencing this with you now. She's yeah. jumped from like being on the show to being the audience with I you. I like that reading of it. Yeah. I like, I'm supposed to saying I like she, it reading. Yeah. I'm just saying it she, in just general life now. I, I think <laughs> I like the idea that Retta is like in a play and halfway through the play she went to sit in the audience yeah. with, the, with the audience. She's exactly. like, oh, my, uh, like, I have to sit down for a minute, you know, things are going on, but you know, I'll sit with the audience. We'll watch exactly. it together. Exactly. Like she's not just like, she's not being removed entirely. She's, yeah. she's still part of it. She's about the podcast family. <laughs> um, so yeah, next up we have episode, let me get my episode numbers, episode 107, Mindful Education, which I've been looking forward to this episode this so much. is a good episode. It's another one of those, I mean, we'll get to it, but it's another one where it's like, this is such a good episode for kids. It has a really important message. Uh, that is applicable to kids and adults. <laughs> good point. And it has a song that I want to say the song in this episode didn't catch me the first time round. Second listen, I was like, oh, I see why everyone's like falling head over heels. If for I this. remember right, the first time I saw this episode, you had already seen it once before, and yeah. you were like, this is the episode. Like, let's watch it together. Yeah. Um, and I'm. F- Fairly sure I cried or like I got like to I the I believe I did a little bit of a cry. Yeah, yeah we <laughs> just, did just add the song. Yeah, we'll we'll get there. So um, Connie comes over to Stevens for sword practice and uh, she's clearly very distracted. Stevens wearing a bold cap and mm-hmm. she just doesn't spot yeah. it. Steven is kind of he's he's clearly he's ready for that moment when Connie opens the door and he's, he's kind of like he's bald and she yeah. has to deal with it, but she she doesn't deal with it. No, because she's uh, it, it's almost like. She's not dealing with things right now. Mm, she's uh, Things are happening around her and she's not dealing with them. Yeah, she's not thinking about what's happening. She needs to be more mindful. Yeah. No, so, like, she's she's a bit distracted, doesn't notice this fun joke. She's clearly not herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's come over for a very special lesson this week. It's fusion fighting training. I like that, like, Garnet's there. Because it's like, yeah. Garnet's going to be there if it's the fusion. Yeah, she's got to be there to make sure that, like, she knows a lot about fusion. Pearl knows about fighting. Put them together. You've got fusion exactly. fighting lesson. Yeah. Uh, their lessons together fuse. <laughs> their, their areas of expertise fuse into fusion fighting. I enjoyed seeing that idea, like, come to you as you were Did speaking. Did you see my eyes light up as I thought <laughs> I of it? I saw the moment when you were like, ah <laughs> Um, my favourite thing about the start of this episode is Garnet's sign. Uh, the sign that's two signs in one. Yes. Ghost Stephen plus Connie, and then the other side is Ghost of Oni. Fusion sign. Yeah, it's two fusion, uh, two signs in one. It's a fusion sign. Perfect. Um, I, I fucking love Combat Stevoni as a protagonist. Like, I hope when we get to, like, whatever the final fight of this show is, yeah. I want to see that be Stevoni. Because oh, I think it will, yeah. it, It's such a perfect balance of 
Character that is good with a sword, character that is good with a shield, put them together, you have a confident, happy, awesome fighter that is good at attack and defence. Yeah, it's like they balance each other out, they kind of cover each other's weaknesses. I, I think it's really interesting that you combine them and they basically get the fighting style of Rose. Ah, because a good Rose was a combination sword and shield fighter, yeah. neither of them can be can stand up to be Rose's place in a battlefield, put them together they then, can uh, though. I like that. Um, I, I like thinking that the last fight has to be that, oh, and I don't think this is going to happen, but I want to see it happen. It's just like a Megazord fusion of just all of just the characters. all of the crystal gems, because that, that'll be a stable fusion. <laughs> because like at the end of the series, they, they've all dealt with their problems. They all love each well, other. So they just, we have just seen, jump into a We've giant seen a polyamorous puzzle. fusion. Uh, we've seen the That's six true. fusion. It can happen. It can happen. I don't I, think this group of people can do it. <laughs> I want to see it. Just like Amethyst, Peridot, Lapis, just everybody. I, I think the ultimate solution is I forget what her name is but like the season beginning of season five uh, polyamorous fusion yeah uh, I, know I think mean. all of them just join into her polyamorous <laughs> unit like just join in yeah it's like yeah and, you know she just slowly collects them all in over the final season yeah. and like the final season is just like her very slowly being like hello <laughs> I'm going to destroy you. <laughs> she, no, that part, she's just like a giant like caterpillar. Yeah, thing, she's just she... a very slow, powerful caterpillar yeah. that just like crushes Homeworld. I, I, I can see that. She just wriggles over to Homeworld and like squashes it. Yeah, and then it zooms out and it's like it's like the whole apple and caterpillar thing. Yeah. And she's just like coiled around the entire planet. Um, it, so many people joined this polyamorous unit that eventually uh, the battle was won <laughs> by love. <laughs> <laughs> just I, I, so yeah. much love that she became so powerful she could eat the home yeah, world exactly there you go love wins yeah. it's the theme of the show that has to happen now <laughs> anything else and I'll be disappointed uh, so as Stormoni is fighting she does uh, they do incredibly well I did she again I keep doing that tonight for fusions and yeah. it's very easy to fall into let's see what we were saying like um Smoky Quartz is very amethyst. And when I see Stevoni, Stevoni, I know, like, obviously, they are um, gender neutral. I do... They, they are drawn more feminine than masculine. Indeed, which doesn't, dis- like, discontinue their of ability to be gender neutral or uh, it's the, non-binary. It's the same reason why, like, yeah. Retta occasionally calls Jasper he. Yeah. It's just, like, you look, it's, you glance at that character. I've and... seen, yeah, like, it's... I struggled with that for ages, not calling Jasper he. Mm. and it's just in my head like that's just a thing that's linked and I'm aware that that's based on preconceived biases that like it's not necessarily like a problem that I have them I just have to be aware that I have them and work through them because like in the same way that like I am white and I'm aware that like my brain is hardwired with racial biases which are not good you just have to be aware of them and try Mm -hmm. and overcome them that's a good way of putting it I like that See, um, I, I did actually think Jasper was a dude when Jasper turned yeah, up. Yeah, like at that moment when Jasper. It's was like, oh, he is our first male. Yeah, game. that's what I thought. I was like, oh, okay, interesting. Uh, slight side note about preconceived biases that like just everyone inherently has in oh, their brain to some I'm degree. Forward to this. Uh, there is a thing that is like really useful for like. It's a thing that I ex- uh, I did a few years ago that really opened my eyes to like. The inherent racism that just kind of get wi- gets wired into your brain as a white person, and mm. like I suspect you could do similar things for other things that would work, yes. is basically a test that you are supposed to do as quickly as possible, and it times you on how long it takes you to respond to each thing. Where it will flat, uh, it will put two images up on screen, and you have to press either left or right to be like, which image do you associate with this word? Ah. And a lot of what it does is it registers micro, like, very, very, very minute differences in the amounts of time it takes you to associate certain words 
with people based on race and then points out at the end like it takes you long like i'm not gonna deny like it said at the end of this test like it takes you a fraction of a second longer every time to associate these traits with white people or these traits with black people and Mm. it's this moment of yeah you can overcome it but your brain does have to have a second of like thinking overriding itself and like doing the thing to not associate to get over associations your brain has it's like be aware that you have racist biases in your head and like doesn't mean that you act racistly but it's like your brain is kind of hardwired into it and this is why it's like all white people were all kind of racist. Yeah. Because we're all brought up kind of yeah, racist. Yeah, it's the same thing with, like, trans stuff. Like, us as people... Yeah. The, our, we live in a cis-normative society, and it demonises trans features, yeah. and it praises being cis as the ultimate kind yeah. of perfect Trans people are more accepted if they pass. Yeah, if they, exactly. If they, you know, pass for cis. It's, it's the thing. It's not to say everyone... Like, it's like, you're, t- you're a bad person because you have these biases... Be aware that, like, you probably have these biases. Like, I wish I could tell you what the name of that test was. I will try and... If you can, like, vamp for a second. Okay, sure. I want to find the name of that test because it was... It was the moment where I had my real, like... Yeah. Yeah, I, like, I have racial biases that I do need to be aware of because, Mm. like, I was brought up as a white person. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, white people. It's like, I've heard that quote before where it's like, um... When it comes to, like, different groups that you're not a part of, um, the... it's like the ah. first thought that enters your mind is the one you've been conditioned to think. Yes. And then the second thought that like hits you is yes. the one that you know is the correct thought yes. and like the thing you're trying um, to get. It's around. from Harvard University and it's called the Implicit Association Test. Oh, okay. Cool. Um, so a little bit of reading about it. You can find this at implicit.harvard.edu. Um, basically, it's uh, it was proposed in a book called Blind Spot, in which they talk about hidden biases based on the experiences with implicit associations, cool. um, and the the basic situation is just like they have they, the only one they have is based on race, and um, it it is it's about associations of things like race between things like representations of black black kids versus white kids. And associations with words like uh, pleasant words like smile, honest, sincere, lucky, versus unpleasant words like disaster, agony, hatred, grief, right. and it it measures the speed that it takes you to associate the correct word with the person that appears to be experiencing that word. Yeah, to try I, I, and be I, like, yeah. to just be like, does it take you a fraction of a second longer to? associate this word with the person that's experiencing this because of their race. Yeah, I so get it. That's really it's, interesting. It's an interesting thing. Go look at the implicit association test because, like, it was my eye-opener of, like, I have implicit... Like, I have some ingrained associations that I have to consciously yeah, overcome. Yeah. That's cool. a discussion of me being racist. <laughs> I think all white people are racist. Honestly. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's unfair to say, like, it's not to say you are maliciously racist yeah, or will act not like, in racial exactly, racist ways, exactly. but you have to be aware as a white person, like you are grown, you are like brought up having hardwired associations yeah, that our, you have to know about to overcome. Our society is incredibly racist. Like, yeah, nobody grows up in this society well, like without carrying some of that baggage that they then have yeah. to 
mentally unpack and work around. Yeah. So be aware of your biases and work through them. Mm-hmm. That was a tangent. But, it was. Um, I think it was an interesting one. <laughs> what was... Oh, yeah. With the, ta- the tangent was us having associations about pronouns that we have to... <laughs> that we oh, yeah. occasionally make mistakes and then have to, like, be like, no, I know that's wrong. I will yes. correct myself. Yeah. Because so that's what's happening with Stefani. Yeah. It's implicit associations versus, like overcoming them yeah, and being yeah. aware of your own implicit exactly. associations and like going along with that theme like obviously it's like <laughs> you're not intentionally misgendering Stevani it's, no. it's you're, you're working to go around that bias indeed so point being uh, Stevani is fighting and they're super awesome and I love Stevani <laughs> Stevani is like legitimate like up there with, like I would say Stevani is my favourite non-binary character in a piece of media. I absolutely love them. Uh, they're doing really well at fighting, and then all of the colours shift to orange. We see a scared child. Connie freaks out. Stevani unfuses. Connie runs, and Stephen follows. It's so cool. Well, not really cool. It's kind of like harrowing. Yeah. But it's a good depiction of a panic attack, I think. Yeah. It's this very st- stark contrast of colours, because like you've got blue used in a lot of this episode as the mm. calm, controlled relaxed colour and then orange is pretty much its ante- uh, antithetical colour yes. it's one of the ones that most strongly starkly contrasts yeah it's, I mean, it's a colour that's not really used very often yeah. in the programme and it, it really stands out when it's a colour that's used in traffic lights as warning something's yes. like ah, <laughs> oh, be alert and mm. like something's about to change something is changing quite abruptly yeah it's a very unnatural colour using this context yeah so um Connie feels really shitty because she beat someone up. And I think this is a really interesting conversation for us to have. Um, Connie has been training so hard that she accidentally acted on instinct when a violent kid... uh, When a violent kid? When an innocent kid bumped into her. She flipped him over her shoulder and slammed him violently into the ground where he broke his arm. That is... Like, there's one thing that's really easy to forget about in this show. Connie and Stephen are just kids. Yes. And, like, Stephen's grown up being trained for this his whole life. Connie has been, like, a school kid who, were, like, in the past year has started preparing to fight in a war. Yeah, like, And that has an impact on a kid. Exactly. That's not a normal thing that a kid should be going through. Yeah. And I, I do like that it's implied that, like, this took place at school. Yeah, like, there's a bunch of lockers behind. Yeah. So it's like Connie has gone back to, kind of inverted commas, the normal world. Yeah. And is still in this kind of heightened awareness. She's, well, she should be, to a degree, because, like, she went to see her mum at work and got attacked, for example. That's like, true, that's settings true. like... A hospital that you assume are safe away from the world of all this magic stuff have been infected by these, like, these monsters. That's a good point. And there is a certain degree of nowhere's really safe. And you've yeah. put this real weight on Connie to be like, you have to be on guard and ready to fight at any minute. Yeah. I and, like that. I like the idea yeah. that kind of the Nightmare Hospital episode has put her in a state of constant readiness. Yeah. There's. There's a certain degree of, like, she's... I feel like she's lost a part of her childhood at this point. Like, there's a bit of childhood innocence of just bumping into someone, oh, sorry, is gone for her. Like, someone bumps into her, she's ready in combat mode. I like that. I do also think it is very relatable and it's not something you see very often in cartoons when the protagonist does something by accident that is really kind of mean and has yeah. lasting consequences and doesn't to the deal with the consequences she runs off yeah she panics she's like i broke this kid's arm oh shit and, like, and it, runs off this show takes time to 
show how that's bothering her and how that's yeah. affecting her. And it's like, because you see in cartoons when like characters will do kind of mean things and then they're like, oh, I'm sorry, I was angry or whatever. But like, Connie here did this on instinct and is almost like, I don't know why I did this. Does it mean I'm a bad person? Yeah. She's, she's got a lot of feelings to deal with and she's a kid and her response is understandable is I would just, just want to run away from this and not think about it yeah. because she's ultimately gonna have to go back to school and presumably get in trouble for breaking a kid's arm yeah I imagine that is part of this is and the dread yeah, of like I have this is like, gonna come I think, back I think we've all been like the kid at school that did something we weren't supposed to and is just like I could address <laughs> this now and bring it up and be like look this happened but yeah. we need to deal with this you never do as a kid. You just no. bury your head in the sand and hope it will go away. I had forgotten this, but I, I kind of essentially did what Connie did when I was in primary school. And my solution to it was that I hid under a table and <laughs> hoped that the teacher wouldn't find me. And there was never any consequences whatsoever. <laughs> but I, but for that, the rest of that day, I felt really guilty, really conflicted. And I was really worried that I was going to get kind of called out on it and shouted at for it for something that... I already felt terrible yeah. about because I was worried that this teacher was going to be like, why did you do that? It was horrible. And yeah. I was going to be like, I know it's horrible. I've, I didn't mean to do I've, it. I think I've told the story. I might have told it on Clubcast before of the mm. time that I was cornered in some toilets and I like smashed someone's head <laughs> against something very hard. And like, yeah. it was that moment of like, I know it was in self-defense. I felt terrible that I'd yeah. done it. It was like, I was cornered by people who'd like physically attacked me before. Mm. And I did something in self-defense to get away from them. But I was still like, no, let's just hope there are no consequences for this. Do, 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 do. And like when I was called out on it by adults, I was able to be like, here's all the evidences of times I tried to tell adults what was happening and they didn't stop yeah. it. <laughs> this like, shit's on you. Yeah, like... This is nine months of like, I spoke to this teacher on this day about this thing that mm. happened and they said to ignore it. Nine months later, I fought back. Yeah. And there were ultimately no, resp- uh, no repercussions for me because... I talked about it and I yeah. faced it and I, you know, dealt with the aftermath. If I hadn't dealt with it and had tried to hide from what had happened, there probably would have been consequences. Your, Deal with what you do. Your story has a much better moral and kind of <laughs> lesson to it than mine, which is just hide under a table. Things kind of just might work out. <laughs> Um, so the way I put the Connie thing in my notes was, uh, it's important to remember she's a child. She's on edge. She's being prepped that she might be attacked at any moment. And she's losing some part of her childhood innocence to this combat practice. Mm -hmm. And it's, it doesn't mean she shouldn't practice, but she, the adults around her need to be aware that like things might happen. And if so, you need to know that you can talk to us and we can talk through this and we'll work out what to do. Yeah. I, Cause I feel like they've touched on the fact that Connie is only a kid a little bit in nightmare hospital Yeah, and in the, um, going North episode with Jasper. I, I understand why they don't like it's a cartoon. Connie's a main character. She's a kid. It's the cartoon is into kids, yeah. but I do think there's kind of a conversation here that should be happening that's like hey you're just a child and what we're doing is kind of wrong but we kind of need steven and maybe we're gonna need you and if you're willing to help that's okay but you are still a kid okay well the thing is is she does deal with the consequences and it's like nothing too bad happened and you dealt with the consequences and as such like look now you know to be aware of this just like there maybe does need to be more of a conversation, but I like that we at least see that this is a problem that 
impacts her life. Yeah. If yeah. nothing else, I like that we have this episode for that. I agree. I think it's a really good episode yeah. to have um, showing us some sort of consequences for the rest of Connie's life. Yeah. So Stephen understands accidentally hurting people. Uh, he says, he's like, oh, I understand hurting people by accident. I just ignore it. <laughs> Bottle it right down. Just push those yeah, feelings down. It's um, a darkly amusing moment. It's where I'm reminded of all the awful things Stephen's been through it's, so far. It's, it's pushing, it, it's foreshadowing what's going to happen yes, later. Um, fusions fall apart if one of the people in the fusion isn't stable. Yes, we've had this established. This we? is what we saw two episodes ago with Sardonyx, mm-hmm. was our first real look at. Actually, I know we had the the motel, uh, the motel episode yes. where uh, Garnet unfuses, but this is like we have an example two episodes ago of gems not being in harmony and panicking and falling apart. Yeah, it, it's kind of like the way we've seen it early on. It's kind of like when gems disagree oh. with each other. Yeah, with with the but... motel, it's the two of them actively fighting with each other. Yeah, cause... whereas here we see it could just be one of them not. Yeah, because the, mo- the motel, I also think, is very similar to Opal breaking apart, where like yeah. Amethyst and Pearl break apart because they they blame each other at that moment. Yes. So it's like they're, they're in conflict. And here it's like, Connie is not in conflict with Stephen. She's in conflict with herself, and yes. Stephen is not part of and that. Because Stephen doesn't know what's going on, he can't add his heart, like, he can't help. Yeah, there's no harmony there. Like, yes. there's, there's no kind of, like... There's, there's something happening to half of Stevani, and the other half of Stevani can't help. Yeah, they're not in sync because yeah. of this problem. Um, Garnet teaches mindfulness in a way that is super helpful actionable and applicable to kids and adults alike. Yeah. This is why this episode's so good. (laughs) So the song I heard was written by Rebecca Sugar independently of this episode. Yeah. I believe she wrote this just kind of as a song to deal with anxiety and then it's kind of applied to this episode. It's it's a song I've come back to time and time again. Me too. (laughs) As like a trying to remind myself because like mindfulness um teachings are a thing that have existed long before Steven Universe. You can mm-hmm. go get books on it. And yep. basically the whole thing is like trying to recenter yourself and remind yourself that while problems, while they're happening, may feel like the end of the world, try and remember that like they are probably small things that if you can just sort of see them for what they are and ground yourself and wait them out will probably be okay for you to deal with like once you get some distance and some perspective you can deal with them in manageable ways and things will be okay exactly like i've had to happen a bunch of times like in my life when i've been avoiding a particular problem or something's been stressing me out and i'm kind of like naturally trying to avoid it because i'm like that thought's painful so i don't want to think about it but inevitably sitting down meditating on it and being like okay What's going on? Why is this bothering me? Yeah. I the kind of I, I understand it and I'm like, okay, I feel better now. Thinking about things it. like, can I actionably do anything about this? If not, when will I be able to? Let's not stress about it yeah. until then. The, the Tr- way yeah. sorry, that No, go ahead. I always said the the way I always kinda of word it to myself, like when I'm dealing with this stuff, is I'm trying to like make peace with something. Yeah. I'm not trying to solve it. I'm just, yeah. I'm making peace of the fact that this exists and yeah. it's happening and that's okay. Yeah, it's trying to contextualise, not necessarily a solution, but like, what level of control do I have right now? And if I have some control, okay, what can I do with that? If I have yeah. no control, okay, let's just wait it out because yeah. I, why stress about it if I can't change exactly, it? Exactly, yeah. Um, Retta added a note here, which is worth bringing up. 
Uh, Retta said that it's cute to see two fusions that are made of kind of love and kind of caring, positive emotions <gasps> interacting with each other. It's the only time I can think of where we see yeah, it. Yeah, I can't. Because, like, thinking about it, a lot of the other fusions are based on different emotions. Like, uh, obviously, Sugalite is very angry. Sardonyx is, I would say, kind of quite arrogant um, and very show-offy. That's not a great yeah. word for you. I know what, what you mean, mean yeah. Um, and like Smoky Quartz is kind of, is another like jokey kind jokey, of Jokey, jokey to try and cover up uh, self-confidence yeah, issues. Smoky Quartz is kind of built on insecurity. Yeah. But like Stevoni is, is built on kind of... Two caring, yes. like stable, nice fusions yeah, like that really are just... it's a strong friendship. And then, very good, just two people that are very good for each other in a nice stable fusion. Yeah, so have them interacting. It's like, yeah, we haven't really seen that before. Yeah, this is the first time we see two fusions interacting in a way where like you might forget that it's two fusions yeah and combat has not worked into this at all exactly um so like i made some notes about the song i'll jump into the 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 lyrics in a second but like the things that like i took away from this song like the first time because i came across this before i'd really like formally seen anything about mindfulness as an idea like i knew the vague concepts but hadn't like i'd never read a book on mindfulness or anything um Remind yourself to ask, is this the thing that'll make you fall apart? Um, like, trying to contextualise these things that go wrong as, is this as, like, let's try and look at this from a distance, is this such a big thing that my life is really going to end yeah. because of this thing? Mm. Um, feelings like anger, resentment and guilt can add up when you have a lot of them there, as represented by the butterflies in yeah. the song. Uh, lots of little things can add up so much that you can't see past them, you feel overwhelmed doesn't take away the fact that they're all small things. Like, if you're swarmed with butterflies, like in that song, you know, it might seem overwhelming. They're still butterflies. You could just walk through them. Yeah. You know, they're not as... it's Just because there's a lot of small things doesn't mean mm. that you can't escape it. Yeah, I, I do like the mm. visual imagery in the song. It is kind yeah. of like, everything's building, everything's building up, but it's okay. Yeah. It can't hurt you. And I like that we see um, Ruby and Sapphire <laughs> mm. as well. And, like, Ruby seen getting very kind of angry and agitated. I, I like that we get two di- very different looks at use cases for mindfulness, which one is Ruby getting angry at something that is so small that she really shouldn't be worried about it. She yeah. just let it let it go mm-hmm. is one use case of, like, why am I devoting this much energy to being this angry at something so small? Yeah. And the other side we get with Sapphire is these small things added up in a way that feels so overwhelming that I feel helpless and like I can't do anything mm. when in fact I actually have quite a lot of agency to get out of this situation yeah. I yeah it's two very nice flips of a coin of situations that mindfulness is good for yeah I do I like that it's showing different emotions like I yeah. can, honestly I kind of related to this when I first watched it because yeah I am someone who used to have an incredibly bad temper yeah and see, it's, it's amusing because I tell people this and multiple people have said, oh, Mia, I can't imagine you getting really angry. And I'm like, that's a really nice compliment because like, I used to get angry all the time and I hated getting so, angry. So, like, I've not really seen much of that from you, but like, here's, here's <laughs> the thing, like, while we've lived together, you've been on estrogen and one thing estrogen <laughs> is great at is turning anger into sadness. Yeah, that, that um, honestly... My default emotion <laughs> used to kind of be jump to be angry I, at everything. Now I jump to being upset and I and cry all the time. I, I'm, like, there's a bit of me that grumbles about that because anger can be quite a good emotion for like getting stuff done. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I mean, it's maybe a slight tangent, but there was a moment when I got... This is like pre-transition, but like I was leading up to transition. I knew I was trans, but I had yeah. side hormones, etc. Um, 
and I got really upset and I was like, I can't do this. I'm just, yeah. I've been injured. And I sat down in, on, in bed. I turned the lights off. And I was like, that's it. And then I was like, no, like, I'm sick of everything going wrong. I'm sick yeah. of never getting any help. And I was like, no, I deserve things to go well. I deserve to get out of this situation. I got really angry and I literally kicked the like, blanket off my bed and was like, no, no. I, yeah. I, like, I'm really angry at this situation. That, and that anger, like, fueled me enough that to it, get that out. Is, it's, it's nice to be able to, like, if I'm sad, I can cry about it and I feel better as a result. <laughs> That's really good. Yeah. But there is the one thing where, like... I do miss being able to have actionable anger when I need it. Because yeah, now I, I just, I just like, when I would have been angry, I now just kind of cry. I'm just like, ah. <laughs> uh, Yeah, I'm kind of the same. I cry at everything. Well, you're less likely to, like, do harm to the world by oh, getting yeah. sad I've and stuff than angry. Like, yeah. what I used to do, I used to basically, I would bottle things up, bottle things up, bottle things up get really angry and just literally start yelling. And, and say and, stuff you regret. And then I'd go back to my room and I'd be like, I am the worst person in the universe. I despise yeah. myself. And I hate that I did that. And I am not worthy of anything. But I don't get that feeling anymore. No. When I when I cry in response to stuff, I look back and I'm like, oh, poor past me that was crying yeah. all that much. I'm not like, why did I do that? Yeah, it's. It, I see what you mean. Like, anger is useful, but at the end of the day, I prefer not having it <laughs> yes. anymore. Um... So the other thing from that song I wanted to take away was um, it does a good job of explaining sometimes you have to just take a moment to find and centre yourself, to look at the things swirling around you as small individual things and that one small thing by itself won't defeat you. And, the, mm. like, it's, it's... Small things can be managed. They might look overwhelming as a whole, but you can actionably deal with small things. Yeah. The other thing... Um... That I really like the line about like um, is it like is this where we fall apart? Yeah, but it's, it's like, not. But, but it's, it's not, not. But it's not. But it's not. But it's not. I really like it's that. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I found that like a perfect analogy for anxiety because that's mm. another thing I used to suffer from. Same. <laughs> because like I used to have moments where like I could be anywhere. I could be in bed. I could be on the bus. I could be walking down the street mm. and my brain would basically tell me, this is it. Like, you are going to fall to pieces. You're going to die right now. Like, you're going to suffocate. You're going to have a heart attack. You're going to completely go to pieces. And yeah. I'd be like, this is it. This is it. I'm just, I'm going to lose it. So be, that song being like, is this where it happens? No, it's not. Yeah. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not. You're going to be okay. I like the repeated, like, I, I think it's really good that they repeat the, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Because... Saying once when you're that stressed sometimes doesn't stick properly. I agree, yeah. Whereas it's nice to just, like, hammer it home and, like, repeat it almost like a mantra to yes. just be like, it's not how you fall apart, it's not how you fall yeah. apart, you're okay, it's you're like, okay. It's very determined. It, it hammers things home through repetition in a way that's more likely to stick. Yeah. It's a really good song for this. Um, I'm just looking through the lyrics. Um, I think Smudge is eating leftover pizza. Oh. Just to jump in. Who <laughs> uh, left pizza box open? Uh, that would be me to those listening and wondering. Yeah. I did that by accident. I have no idea if this <laughs> caught on the microphone. Uh, oh, yeah, smudge. I apologise. I'm just looking at her, licking her lips. <laughs> she's she's just, so proud of yeah. herself. She's like, yep, I did that. So, no guilt. <laughs> uh, looking over the lyrics of the song to see if there's anything we've missed. Um, take a moment to think of just flexibility, which is like, don't worry that you can't do this the way you thought. You know, there might be a different solution. Yes. Be open to that. Yeah. Uh, 
love you like think about the people that are around that can support you think about what support network you yeah. have and what you can do to like you know access that and trust talk to people and share what's going on with you so that they can help yeah i definitely feel like that's what it's mm. getting at like I, I wrote a note down that said that the kind of another meaning to the song is that it underlines that like friends will look out for you like yeah. talk to your friends they're there for you and you know you don't have to go through this alone yeah exactly which um, works perfectly in this episode because fusions are never alone yeah uh here comes a thought that might alarm you uh like you know this can be quite distressing to experience mm. uh what someone said how it harmed you something you did that you know wasn't a good thing the things that you said are suddenly swarming it kind of talks about like it can be something that someone did to you or something you did that you feel bad about, but these things can snowball very quickly and can feel like that's how they feel like the end of the world. So, like these things are suddenly swarming. They're all just, ah, all these things are yeah. everywhere. It can be overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And I, again, I mean, I kind of alluded to it earlier, but I do really like that this song's not just about a bad thing happened to you. It's like, maybe yeah. you did the bad thing. Yeah, and you're, like, burying your head about it. Yeah, because, like... Like Mia hiding under the table. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I needed this song as a child, clearly. I think a lot of us did. Um, you're losing sight. You're losing touch. All these little things seem to matter so much. It's... I, I think that section, to me, signifies, like, you, you're losing the ability to have a solid perception of, like how these things actually are. You start to catastrophize. Yeah. You perceive things in a way they aren't. Yes, like you're losing and, the context of what yeah. actually happened. And as such, these things, like, they're small things, but they seem to be, like, your whole world in yes. that moment. Yeah. They confuse you that I might lose you. And it's this, like, it can be terrifying to know how to deal with it, and you can feel like it might be the end of your world. Like, yeah, there will be negative consequences to like, it. Yeah. F- for me, like, as someone that's been suicidal, I, I take that last line, and no worries if this isn't other people's read on it, the, that I might lose you, for me, ends up being the... All of this stuff can sometimes get so overwhelming that suicidal thoughts start coming back for me because it's like, oh no, everything's around me, I, uh, there's no escape, and yeah, that's when yeah. suicidal thoughts are at their worst for me. Mm, I think that's a fitting reading, honestly. Yeah. Um, Take a moment, remind yourself to take a moment and find yourself. Take a moment to ask yourself, is this how we fall apart? But it's not, but it's not. It's okay, it's okay, it's okay. You've got nothing, got nothing to fear. I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. And again, it hammers home this, like, find a support network so that you don't have to feel alone in these moments. You don't have to deal with them alone. Because... You can find people to just remind you it's okay, you're not alone. Yeah, I, okay. I, I also like the reading of it that it's just someone talking to themselves, being like, I'm here. Oh, like, I'm I, just, like, I like that as well. It's just like, like, nothing is falling apart, like, it, it's, I'm, I'm here, I'm yeah. here, it's you're okay. still You're still here, you're still you, the yeah, human still being. Together and, yeah, Yeah, that's, oh, that's really nice. I... <laughs> I've seen that reading. I I think I've felt that, but I didn't know how to verbalize yeah. that. And you've just put it into words in a way where I'm like, oh, that's how to explain that feeling I get from that song. Yeah. Uh, and then I really like the second half of this song is Stevoni repeating the things she's been told. Mm. It's it's basically like this is a mantra that Garnet has that she's passed on to Stevoni, and Stevoni has taken it on board and repeated it to herself to remind herself, like, let's go through this. Let's keep this in mind. This is helpful information. Yeah. Because having Garnet pass it on to Stevoni kind of legitimises the audience then taking it from there. 
being the like, oh, it was passed from this person to this person. Now it's been passed to me, and I can yeah. I can now use this song as my centering point to get through these rough times. Yeah, I think like obviously it's it's very fitting for Garnet to have the song because she is diffusion. Yeah, but I think also Garnet is always shown as a character who is kind of very knowledgeable and calm. Yeah. Like, it's not like this song is coming from Amethyst. You yeah. Know? But it's it's nice that this... It shows that this sort of calmness and inner peace that some people have is something that you can learn to have as well. Yeah, But exactly. it's something that you can learn how to also have it. It's not something that's innate about Garnet. It's something she learned to do that she's able to teach others to do and that we can learn to do too. Yeah, and, and even Garnet, like, has this problem too. Yeah. As we see in, like, Ruby and Sapphire. Like, no one's above this... Ha- no one's above this having... Wait, I'm wording this really badly. Yeah. No one is above this happening to them. There we go. Yes. I got it on the end. Also, can I just say, like, Stevoni singing. Oh, they are so good at singing. <laughs> I want them to sing all the time. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a killer that this is the only... St- song that they sing in currently. I have to think, like, every time they cast a voice actor now, like, surely they're thinking, can you sing? Well, I'm pretty sure that, as we said earlier, like, part of why Nicki Minaj was cast yeah. is I suspect that at one point they wanted a Sugalite song. Most likely, yeah. Or they were just preparing in case they wanted a Sugalite <laughs> song. <laughs> yeah, it's I think like, so. I think singing has to be part of your demo for a voice acting yeah. gig on Steven Universe, even if you're not... They don't have a script for you to do a song. Well, it seems like, uh, even going back as, like, um as far back as the pilot episode it seems that music was always going to be a theme in the show yeah like there's not a song in the pilot episode but we see they're, they're all dressed like 80s glam yeah, rock they are, we said um, before, I think I said it in the first episode they all look like Gem the 80s cartoon yeah like yeah. They, they look like the kind of glam rock stars so I'm, I'm sure from well, the beginning music was part of it one of the like very first people that was cast is uh, Sadie who is by oh, someone who yeah. is very definitely a singer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget which one she is, but she's one of the people in Garfunkel and Oates. She's Garfunkel. Oh, she might be Oates. Yeah, she's she Garfunkel and or Oates. Yeah. <laughs> I say and, and as if... Yeah, she's both. both of them. <laughs> yeah, one of them's just lip-syncing along. <laughs> yeah, one of them's just an actress who just stands there. But, um... <laughs> um, so yeah, Stavoni sings, uh, let yourself... Uh, the, the core of the song is let yourself feel things and move on, don't run and ignore them. Yeah. Um... Connie returns pumped to fight. She uh, apologised and explained to Jeff, the kid who she uh, like threw to the ground, and he understood. And he asked, like, hey, that was really cool, that fighting move you did. Can you show me your fighting sometime? Preferably not against me. Yeah, I like it because like, they've got the selfie, which is like, look, we're friends. Yeah. We're okay now. I, I like that the lesson you took away was like, look, I get that you weren't being like harsh you it's really cool that you do fighting training can i see <laughs> yeah she's like yeah it's it's a good message but like you know apologize to the person and things can work yeah. out it's okay i i want to see an episode i don't think we've seen one yet but i would like to see an episode where jeff is just watching from the yeah. side as <laughs> oh as that could be fights. we just have like they don't have to acknowledge it just jeff's in yeah, the background just there. Oh, i yeah. hope they do that oh do it do it oh. have have or there could be a fight near the school and Jeff's Jeff there. sees it through the window. Yes. Oh, come that on. could be cool. I'm rooting for Jeff to come back. Yeah, now. Jeff, 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 <laughs> Jeff. Uh, she felt better by facing and not running from her problems. 
However, a glowing butterfly lingers on Rose's sword for Stephen to see. Mm. Uh, oh, we're foreshadowing. <laughs> what could that mean? Ooh. It's like all the butterflies have gone away. Except they haven't. Do, 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 do. Stevani stabs bismuth in orange. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she tries. They they try and stab through one of the uh, the the hollow pearls, and yeah. suddenly it's bismuth, and everything's orange. I like uh, it because by by yeah, I'm not very good at speaking. It's late, and I'm tired. Yeah, <laughs> we've been doing very fast speaking tonight. Yeah. I th- I feel like whenever it's just the two of us, we get more rapid, and we go like, go 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 because we're like because we can't leave any dead air. There's more pressure to always be speaking, so I think we get more high energy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm going to try to calm it down, slow down. I'm not. Go, 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 go. <laughs> See, I'm just going to be really slow now, and you're going to be really intense. Um, <laughs> I like that it's bismuth straight away, because it tells us this is Stephen that's having the problem this time. Yes, this because, is a problem that is a very Stephen yeah, issue. Yeah, because we know that, like, it's not Jasper, who Connie also met. Yes. It's bismuth, and only Stephen met bismuth, so yes. it has to be Stephen having And this. stabbing bismuth is uh, very much a thing that only yes. Stephen, specifically Stephen, did. Um, <laughs> yeah, Stephen and Connie, in the body of Stevani discuss what's happening as two separate people, not as one. Mm. And it's very similar to what happens as um, Sardonyx is falling apart. It's the, who is that? That's Bismuth. What is this? Like, they're talking as two people in one body. Yeah. Like, yeah. they're clearly not one unified person. Yeah, they they're, are they're two, not in sync anymore. They are two people, one of whom knows something and the other who doesn't, who mm. are very confused and conflicted about their goals. Yeah. And I like how... Well, I say, I, it makes me sound sadistic. That's not I like how this happens, but I think it's good storytelling how this kind of um, panic vision develops through the other things that Stephen is avoiding thinking about. Yeah. It's also the fact he couldn't help Jasper. Like, yeah. that's also bothering him. Yeah, it's, I couldn't find a peaceful solution with Bismuth and ended up stabbing her. Uh, Jasper wouldn't let me save her and I, you know, she got corrupted and I could have saved her yeah. and I couldn't work out how to let me. Um, Ruby is floating off in the, the vacuum of space because of me. Sure, mm-hmm. she she tried to kill me, but, like, she's floating out in space because I couldn't find a peaceful way to talk her down. Yeah, because um, Stephen, like, kicked her out of the bubble, yeah. I believe. So, like, she's like, up there because of him. Yeah, it's... Doesn't matter that it was self-defense. He views it as I took the action that led to that. Yeah, I stranded her in space. Yes. Um, and the final butterfly vision is Rose Quartz. At which point, Stevani cracks. Uh, a, a cry. Sorry, Stevani doesn't crack. Stevani cries, backs off a cliff, and cries so much as she falls. Yeah. She just. It's really tough to watch. It it's is. she's so distraught she doesn't notice herself fall off a cliff and then panics and continues to cry as she falls to yeah, the earth. Yeah, it's it's sad, but I mean it makes sense. The the, the last one is Rose because that's the big <sighs> elephant in the room. Stephen's not dealing with yeah. is my mum maybe like shattered someone and also like you know maybe did all these bad things and also is maybe good and i don't know how to deal with my feelings about having to yeah, live up to her exactly, and was she great yeah. was she terrible like we saw the quick kind of allusion to the complicated feelings in the floating episode yeah you know, it was like think of something positive and he thinks of rose and he's, he's like, like no uh, that's that's a lot to unpack <laughs> like, that's too complicated um so i have the transcript up here of the things that steven says while uh while they're falling yes um I didn't want to hurt anyone. I'm sorry. None of them would let me help them. I had no choice. And Connie tries to say, like, it's okay. And Stephen's like, no, 
It's not. But it's okay to think about it. It feels so bad. That's okay, too. There was nothing else you could have done. I don't want to feel this way. You don't have to. You have to be honest about how bad it... uh, Sorry, you have to. You have to be honest about how bad it feels so you can move on. That's how it was for me. And it's this, like, hey, I can empathise. I don't know what you're going through, but I know that if something really bad's happening, you need to face it, you need to process it, because otherwise it'll linger. Yeah, Retta uh, left a note, which she said, um, be honest and think about it, even if it feels really bad, so that you can move on, which is really important life yeah. lesson. Like, that's uh, applicable across, like, all of life. Some days you just need to have a big, long cry and get yeah. it all out, because you will, in the long run, feel better for getting that cry out, rather than ignoring it and having it just linger as, like, yeah. background unhappiness it's, it's for like, a while. It hurts, but... It's okay for it to hurt because, unfortunately, sometimes you just have to ride through that pain. Yeah, life does sometimes hurt. Mm-hmm. And you just have to deal with that yeah. sometimes. Avoiding that pain is not going to solve the problem. Yeah, you have to be honest about how bad it feels so you can move on. And uh, I ended with the line, I am here, and I don't know, is that a transcript line? I Yeah, Stevani, uh, the very, very last line of the episode oh, is like, yes. yeah, it's once they've refused. Yeah, they refuse, they float down to the ground safely. Um, as I rem- It took me a second to remember, Stephen could float down anyway. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's not, like, Connie says something Bye, as they're falling about, like, we can float. Uh, it's, no, Stephen could already float, it's you that need yeah. the fusion to happen. The, Stephen will dark, be fine. There's a dark timeline here where Stephen just floated off and Connie just continued to fall. <laughs> It's like, oh, oh crap, oh, yeah. you fell. There, there was a very um, negative phone call that Pearl had to make that evening. Like, hey, so Connie's not going to come home tonight. I, I was going to say, separately, there was a very negative uh, focus group when they showed that episode to kids. And they were like, <laughs> they were like no, we don't like this one. They're like, yeah, the one where Connie dies and they have to kind of peel her off of the floor. It's, it's quite a dark ending. Yeah, we're not sure we well. want our kids to see this, you know. Uh, It undermines the ending, you know. But it is so nice that their ending is they just like, they're happy, they're calm, they're together again, and they're just centred. They're like, we we got through this, we're okay, we're here. It's I'm here is is the line from the song. And I love how, like, again, I read that to have multiple meanings. Yeah. It's it's kind of like Steve only being like, it's okay, I'm here. But it's also kind of like... Connie saying to Stephen, I'm here. Yeah, it's this reminder of you're not alone. Yeah, like, yeah. we're two people. It's so nice, this episode. It's just, it it's wholesome good watching. Mm-hmm. And I think if there's an if there's any episode that stands up alongside uh, the, the Mr. Greg one, for like, being like, this is just an all-round nice, good episode with a lot going on in it. Yeah. This is it. It's, it's I would agree with that. It's a really good one. Mm-hmm. Um, the last episode we have now is episode 108, Future Boy Zoltron. <laughs> See, this makes me laugh because when you were like, oh yeah, that's the last episode we'll be watching this week. And I was like, oh yeah, that's the really fun, light-hard one. And I said to you before the episode, I was like, it's not that light. It ends... <laughs> There's some dark stuff yeah, in this one. Yeah, and I was like, okay. And we're watching it, and it gets to the bit we're going to talk about. I was like, oh, oh, oh. I remember now. I remember. <laughs> it's yeah. this one. Okay. So, it, like, there's a lot of this episode I think we can barrel through quite quickly. Yeah. I think the Mr. Frowny stuff is the stuff we really need to, yes. like, focus on. So, uh, Mr. Smiley installs a robot fortune teller machine named Zoltron. I know your future because I am from the future and I am from there. Oh, hilarious. Uh, yes, it's it's a terrible 80s machine that looks like the thing from, what's the film, Big? 
the yes, one where yeah, yeah. the one where it's the, the yes. kid turns into Tom Hanks yes. uh, through the fortune teller machine. Um, Stephen Stephen does a light like tap to the robot and breaks it. Uh, Stephen has to pretend to be the robot, or I wrote in my notes gets to play the robot because I think Stephen <laughs> has fun with this. Yes, I think he definitely has um, fun with this. Stephen is not good at pretending to be an uh, an, an automatronic uh, machine. No. He gets way too specific with his robot replies. He uses knowledge that he has and kind of he like, uses people's names. Yeah. <laughs> What is it that Sadie says? Like, sh- like, isn't is it weird that it knows our name, or should we yeah. be scared that it knows our yeah, name? Yeah, it's. <laughs> I, I'm amazed she doesn't put two and two together because that's clearly Stephen. Yeah, like it's not like they're humoring Stephen; they're unsettled by the fact that this machine knows yeah. about them. I did wonder if this little bit with um, Lars, Sadie, and Stephen is foreshadowing for Lars because Steve, because basically, I mean. For anyone listening who can't remember, um, it's basically Lars being like, let's have the day off and the kind of considering whether they should slack off or go to work. Hmm. And then Stephen says, um, you know, even though Lars acts like that, Lars likes to be depended on and likes to do a good job. I immediately was like, ooh, Captain Lars. Oh, I hadn't thought about this. So, to be fair, we're talking about a thing that's only aired in a <laughs> teaser from... It's not uh, aired yet. We've not okay. seen it. So, to be clear, what Mia has referenced here is uh, the San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, there was a teaser for a bit of the next season. Uh, and uh, Yeah, we should just say, like, this is big spoilers, so maybe, like, skip ahead, like, a couple minutes if you don't want to get spoiled. Well, I... There is a teaser about Lars being in a position of, like having more responsibility yes. and this is what Mia thinks uh, might be being <laughs> yeah so I think the reason Lars seems so comfortable in that role is because here they're saying like Lars feels comfortable and fulfilled when people are depending on him and he's doing a it's, good job it's Stephen having a lot more insight to Lars's future than we might have otherwise expected yeah because uh, Lars obviously we see he's often characterised as a slacker but the more time goes on we see Lars does actually have some pride in things yes. that he creates Stephen has some insight into into Lars. Yeah. Um, so some of the bits of advice that Stephen gives are like really poignant and meaningful. Mm. The one I wrote down in particular is the one where uh, Fryman and family come oh, to the machine. Yeah. Even if he seems stuck in his ways, your father really loves you. That's a really sweet piece yeah. of advice that's like going to like be really significant to that family yeah i mean it makes sense because like yeah I, I definitely can see ronaldo as a character who would feel that his dad doesn't really care about him because yeah. his dad has no interest in what he's passionate about like his blog and everything yeah so i definitely could see ronaldo kind of struggling with that yeah it, it's another moment of like steven has some real insight into what people aren't talking about yeah uh, also i just um Retta made a note which i think is worth bringing up which um, Retta has said, wouldn't this class as um, slave labour? Because Mr. Smiley is forcing a child to work during the day in a small box. Uh, I think <laughs> I think part of this is small town where the rules don't really apply. <laughs> Have we ever seen police? No. Exactly. It's, 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 it's a tiny little middle of nowhere I town. I think I was like, is... Is Connie's dad police? But he's not like security. He's private security. Yeah. You know who I pictured when I tried to picture security in, in Steven Universe? Mm. Uh, have you ever watched uh, Gravity Falls? I have not yet. Okay. Still not seen For anyone yet. who's watched Gravity Falls, I pictured the pair of police officers from Gravity Falls um, who, like, 
we need to watch Gravity Falls as a household, even if we don't talk about it on a show. <laughs> yeah, because, just, like, just for fun. It's a really good show that, I've like... I've heard it's very good. Yeah, that, that pair of police officers, like, they're very sweet, and I think they would be very at home in Beach City. Um, okay. I so, hope there's a crossover coming. Uncle Grandpa, make that happen. <laughs> um, so, yeah, even if he seems stuck in his ways, your father really loves you. Uh, then Mr. Frowny shows up. And... Well, just before that... We have oh, someone who asked the question where um, Stephen's answer is, that's a question for your doctor, which Retta wrote down. Um, what the hell did he ask to get that response? Probably a medical question about butt stuff. I, I, I guess it was some sort of like, I have a rash here. What do I it's do? Like, I have a rash on the on my <laughs> nether regions. <laughs> it's like, nope. <laughs> yeah, I, I do like how kind of like nervous Stephen sounds and dealing with that. Like, yeah. no, no, I'm not going to deal with that one. That's, I think, uh, very understandable. Let's yeah. let's say understandable. Um, so Mr. Frowny turns up and we kind of got a bit of a hint earlier in the episode that Mr. Smiley used to have a comedy routine and uh, he doesn't want to talk about what happened with it. Yeah. And Mr. Frowny showing up is like, oh, that's a very similar naming convention. I wonder if he's related to that bit of backstory we've got about Mr. Smiley. Mr. Frowny is the most harrowing and kind of like... <laughs> he's. Uh, he, Mr. Frowny makes me feel bad. He's, he's not like poorly written. He's well written. Oh, in the like, fantastically he makes his the things he's asking make so much sense for his character. Like, like I, I don't know if it's the British accent or what, but Mr. Frowny to me feels like the most realistic human character mm. in the entirety feels, of Stephen Universe. He feels like one of the only characters you could play. You could have a live action version of this character work. Yeah, and it would just be like one to one. Yeah. So like, here's the thing we. We got a bit of, like, we got a bit of... I don't think anyone was asking for backstory for Mr. Smiley. Like, <laughs> no. no one went into this episode being like, I'm craving the backstory yeah, like, of Mr. Yes, Smiley. Yes, Mr. Smiley like, episode. Mr. Frowny really, like, this part of this episode really fleshes out Mr. Smiley into more of a two-dimensional character and really explains why he's... He's jumped career to career that we're aware of. Like, we know... Um, from the Big Donut song, we know he was a uh, rapper and R and B singer. Mm-hmm. Um, he was like an entertainer. He spent. He's he's been a comedian. He's run a comedy sh- yeah. like um, Funland. Because there's the joke in the Funland, yeah. isn't it? That like he performs every single job there and just kind of yeah. runs around. But, like I feel like his thing is he wants to to be doing things that make people happy and that yes. people enjoy. Yeah. And the root of it is in a comedy act that he loved that just didn't work Mm -hmm. and that like it's really sad to think about the fact that like possibly when he's doing all these things to try and make the general public happy he's probably trying to make Mr. Frowny happy deep down because it's my partner in that double act, I couldn't even make the person I was doing the act with happy. Yeah, because, I mean, like we're jumping ahead, but I think it's worth mentioning, like, the reason it kind of fell apart is because... Mr. Smiley was not able to cheer up Mr. Frowny. He, Mr. Frowny seemed to not be enjoying it, and that that bothered Mr. Smiley. Yeah, it's it it is really sad. But yeah, when Mr. Frowny turns up, like he comes and very seriously asks Stephen questions, and Stephen falls apart because he doesn't know Mr. Frowny. Like he knows yes. how to help the citizens of Beach City because he knows them. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know Mr. Frowny, and he gets asked 
pretty dark questions he has no context for. But yeah, because the more this goes on, the more uncomfortable Stephen is. Because yeah. you see for the first He's... time, Stephen hits a point where I think Stephen's like, I don't want to do I, this anymore. I don't know how to help. This isn't a fun game anymore. This is someone's serious problems that yeah. I can't fix. But be- because he keeps putting the yeah. coins in, he's got to keep He's going to keep talking and he's like, I can't help you. And that makes me feel really bad because yeah. he gets a lot of his sense of yep. self-worth out of helping people. Was it a mistake to come here? Will talking to him make any difference? Any difference at all? Um, Stephen responds. He starts trying to joke respond. He's like, human emotions are really complicated for Zoltron. Uh, Is it true? Do I really just drive everyone away? It's really dark. It's, it's, but, then he, like, the, he drops his quarter through the floor. He can't know, even ask another question. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> I mean, part of it's just like the way he delivers it. Like, I should yeah. have looked up who voices him, but... I can such... I can do this now. Uh, IMDB, Mr. Frowny. Let's Please find do. out. Because uh, they do such a fantastic job. Like, he sounds so haunted and just so depressed. I wonder if this is like a... Um, like an actor that we know in some way. Yeah, um, like the, I, I feel like it should be. I feel like it should be some like British screen <laughs> actor or something. <laughs> yeah, I uh, hope I'm so. on the IMDb page for this episode. Uh, Mr. Frowny is. Oh, I've seen this guy and stuff, and I can't place where okay. um, I know him from. Give me a second. His name is Brian George. I, I'm gonna come around. Uh, look at that. his look at his face. Okay, I know I'm him from st- I know him from stuff. Um, oh, uh, is he uh, Kusrapali's dad in? How I met? No, it's no. He, he I, if I remember right, he is actually in Seinfeld, and he plays um, Babu. <gasps> he's uh, he's in Prison Break. I know him from Prison Break. Okay, uh, he was in Prison Break uh, very recently. Yeah, he's Kuta, he's uh, Kuta Pali's dad oh, in I Big Bang it. Theory. I've never seen that. That's cool. Uh, yeah, even... I. Let's keep going. Yeah, that's that's the place I know him from. Is he's uh, Kuta Pali's dad in um, Big Bang Theory? Oh, we played Alfred uh, in The Killing Joke. Oh, didn't know that. Uh, That's interesting. Yeah, he's in a lot of stuff. Um, he was in the Guardians of the Galaxy TV show. I've still not seen that. I've heard okay things. He's uh, in elementary. elementary. He's been in a lot of stuff. He was in the Game of Thrones Telltale game. <laughs> oh, he was... Uh, I've still not played that. Yeah, he was Sir Roiland. <laughs> oh, Beware the Batman. That was like really cool CG Batman series that Cartoon Network sabotaged and put on at like 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'm now just going through the list of like, what did he do stuff? He was in uh, Clone Wars. He was Wars. in Clone Wars. He was, uh, oh, it was Kiadi Mundi in Clone Wars. Mundi. Oh, cool. <laughs> God, this guy's so talented. Ah, oh, this guy's really good. Uh, I just want to look through stuff he was in now. Yeah, um, all sorts of stuff. It's just like advertising this guy's career. Yeah, go check him out. He was a suit of armor in Hotel Transylvania. <laughs> Mass Effect 3? Uh, what was he in Mass Effect 3? He uh, oh, he's in the Omega DLC. Oh, the Omega DLC. Um... I played the mayor in Justice League 2. <laughs> uh, I just want to keep going Dragon through now. Dragon Age. <laughs> he's he's, he's in so many things. He's, he did, he, oh, too many things. Oh, he's Uncle Sabu. Yeah. CSI, uh, I'm not surprised. Everyone's been in CSI at some point. Everyone's in CSI. Um, Isn't, it seems to be in lots of like <laughs> video games are very popular things, like the Lord of the Rings he's, video he's, game. Yeah. He was... Um, he's Admiral Kohoku in Mass Effect. Yeah! <laughs> is, isn't he the one who, like, gets killed by Cerberus? In, like, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's he is. He's the one who goes, like, they've gone completely rogue. Yeah, That's he's... That's I always remember. He has so many, like... He has so many iconic, like, different <laughs> kinds of British voice that I love yeah. in, in stuff. Oh, wow. This guy's uh, so cool. He's, he's, he does Barbosa, Captain Barbosa oh, in Kingdom cool. Hearts 2. cool. 
Um, he's in all sorts. We're getting older now. Oh, I'm God. Like, he's, I, in, he's in a few episodes of American Dad. Wow, okay. That's uh, cool. Oh, he's in the Stan of Arabia ones. Oh, they're very good. They're very satirical. Yeah, he's in the Stan of Arabia episodes. Uh, too. I just want to keep going down this list now. He's yeah. He's been in so much stuff. I want to get him on the show now. Can we yes. Can we get Mr. Brownie oh, on the show? <laughs> oh, if he does the voice for the whole episode, <gasps> that would be incredible. It would be depressing. It would. It would be uh, amazing, though. Right. This is probably where we should stop like going probably. any further probably. back. You are I still think. going, though. I'm still <laughs> scrolling, just in case I find like one extra thing. The X-Files? Who's in the X-Files? Uh, he was a hotel clerk in the X-Files. <laughs> uh, he was in Seinfeld. I knew it. I knew it was Babu from Seinfeld. He was Lou from Seinfeld. He's the one who has the uh, Indian restaurant. He's Lou Wait, from Animaniacs. Oh, cool. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I'm done now. I'm going to step back there. Let's stop now. <laughs> and relax. We got a bit overexcited. Yeah, we just, just fangirled over this guy. Oh, my goodness. Um, so, yeah, he, Brian George, he's really cool. And he does a really good job as uh, Mr. Frowny. Um, so, yeah. Garnet gives Stephen temporary future powers so that he can help random strangers with his predictions. Uh, that's that's a good use for it, right? Yeah. Want to go help a random stranger with their emotional problems? <laughs> Why not? Yeah, I think Garnet can see how it's going to play out to a certain yeah, degree, yeah. and as such, he's like, yeah, it's fine. I, trust yeah. You. So I want to talk about this because I absolutely love this. Yeah. So Stephen gets future vision, and Mister Frowny comes back. And Stephen is then distressed and uncomfortable because every single outcome he can see results in Mr. Frowny being upset. And yeah. I think this is an amazing allegory for helping people with depression. Because sometimes you just, nothing you yes. say can help yes, them. Yes, exactly. Like, yeah. I've been in that situation and it's it's stressful and it's awful. But yeah. as this episode shows, like, that that can happen. Like, you can, yeah. you can really want to help someone sometimes and they literally can't there be Sometimes there just isn't anything that, well, and it's not even that. Sometimes even if you want to help, there's nothing you yes. can do to help. Yes, but then he goes and gets Mr. Smiley. Yes. And then he... It's, and even if it looks like there's no chance of helping, you still try. Yes. Because ultimately, Mr. Mister Smiley comes back. Yeah. Stephen doesn't see any good outcomes for that. But Mr. Frowny goes anyway. Yeah. He yeah. doesn't care that there's no chance of it working. He's got to try. Yeah, and exactly. sometimes, even if there's no chance, you've got to try. And sometimes it will work. Yeah, and what I really like... Like, I mean, we're jumping ahead, but I think I need to go yeah. ahead momentum. So, it's like... They get the end of the episode, Mr. Smiley and Mr. Frowny kind of they interact and they find out like, oh yeah, the act didn't work for different reasons. And then they kind of play out the act and Mr. Frowny yeah. feels a bit better and then leaves. And I like that I, I feel like the implication there is like he feels a bit better and like he's a little bit lighter, but he's not cured. No, he's he now has the information he needs to be able to take his time, process, and exactly. get better. It's not like the, the resolution. It would have been so easy to make the resolution of this episode. Yeah, Mister Smiley and Mister Frowny start the act together, and Mister Frowny becomes really happy, and they're yeah. all best friends. But that would have been such an unrealistic. Yeah. So <laughs> unrealistic for a show yeah. about a magical boy who pretends to be a robot that can see the future. So, jumping back slightly, uh, I think what's really interesting is Stephen can't see a future of Mr. Smiley uh, helping Mr. Frowny at all. And I think a lot of that is he doesn't have the information he needs to see how that could be fixed. Mm -hmm. Because he doesn't know their history together, he doesn't know what the problem is, therefore he doesn't know what to say to fix it. Stephen... 
from the outside can't fix this no matter which side he looks at trying to help. Yeah. He has to let them fix it exactly. themselves. And as well, like, the things that Stephen is doing, Stephen is trying to solve depression with a one-sentence, quick, snappy solution. Yes. And that's not how depression works. You can't solve depression just by telling someone the magic key phrase that yeah. just makes them Sometimes feel Ultron sees sadness in your future no matter what you do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's, that's a good way to, like, not feel defeated by the fact that you're feeling sad. Just remind yeah. yourself every now Sometimes Ultron just sees sadness in your future yeah. no matter what you do. It's true, though. Yeah. Like, like, and you've got to be okay with that. That's just sometimes what Zoltron yeah. sees. It's, it's, it's true, though. Like, like jokes aside, it's true. Like, it's impossible to avoid being sad. Yeah. Like, sometimes you just have to be sad. Yeah, and it's going to happen, and that's okay, because you, you, you will get out of it eventually in time, and that's not going to be how you feel forever. Yeah. Uh, so... Yeah, they had a double act. Uh, Smiley thought that Franny was uh, being depressed was the act, not that he was legitimately depressed, which from what we see is like, no, he was depressed and like the act worked, but like he wasn't necessarily in on the joke as yeah. like he, while he probably understood the structure of the jokes, he probably, they reinforced things he already felt and like he felt like they were laughing at him. Yeah, there was, there was, him. There was more going on there, I feel. It's kind of like yeah. going at. Uh, so I have the transcript of the conversation Frowny and Smiley have at the bus stop because I think sure, there's yeah. some sweet things. Uh, we get their names, Harold and Quentin. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, no, I, I would never have thought of Harold Smiley. No, no, I don't like it's, that. <laughs> no, uh, Quentin Frowny. <laughs> also, is Frow- is Smiley his real surname I, or just his stage name? I imagine it's his stage name. That he but just stuck, stuck with? Yeah, how did you know I was here? Little robot boy from the future told me. <laughs> ah, I came to life! <laughs> I, like, I, like I like that moment of like... Terror levity. Yeah. Oh my god, Zoltron's real. Yeah. No, Mr. Farami, like, during this interaction is really sad. He's like, did you just come here to laugh at me? Um, He says, I just wanted you to take our act seriously. Mm. Which, did he misinterpret Smiley's, like, happy, jovial side as him? Like, the fact that he was happy during the act meant that he wasn't taking it as seriously as Frowny, because Frowny was like, mm, grumble, grumble, because that was his... His half of the act. Yeah, that's kind of how I read it. Did he feel, like, resentful (laughs) that Mr. Smiley got to have the side that was fun and happy of the The, act? No, the the way I read it is that Mr. Smiley saw Mr. Frowny's reaction and was kind of like, this act is making me really happy, but it's not making Mr. Frowny happy, and I don't like doing something that doesn't make someone happy or is making someone sad. I think Mr. Frowny was seeing Mr. Smiley act all happy and goofy and then, like... And Mr. Franny was like, you're not, you're not putting your all into the act. Like, this should be yeah, about the act. Because he's, because he's distracted with trying to make Mr. Franny exactly, happy. yeah. And he's not, he's focusing on that rather than the act. I think Mr. Franny yeah. was kind of like, we could really go yeah. somewhere with this act. But Mr. Smiley was focused too much. Yeah. yeah. Mr. Franny, yeah. Mr. Franny says, I just wanted you to take it seriously. And Mr. Smiley says, I just wanted you to have fun. Mm. And like, they both were trying to get different things out of their time. Yeah. Like, one of them thought this was a fun thing to do, one thought it was a serious career future, mm-hmm. and the two of them clashed over it. Yeah. And that's a very real thing that happens creatively. Mm-hmm. Just like a difference of intent of why people are there. Yeah, I agree. Um, I guess it was never going to work, but I really thought we had something. Um, and then they sort of recount some of their act. You're having a bad day, Frowny. Oh, horrible. Well, why don't you go outside? The sun always cheers me up. I did, but it rained. <laughs> uh, why don't you use an umbrella? I did. 
but it blew away. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this it is my attempt away. to like go back and forth without saying who's yeah. talking. Uh, oh, you must have been sho- so shocked. Yeah, that's when the lightning hit me. Oh. Smiley, what do you do when you're feeling down? Oh, I just take my turn and uh, t- uh, my frown and turn it upside down and turns Mr. Sm- uh, Mr. Frowny upside down and he's chuckling in reality. And it's just this yeah. sweet moment of like, they rem- both of them remember why they liked the act mm. in the first mm. place. They're just like, we had something yeah. here. It's a shame that this didn't work. On that note, Retta had a note. The way she wrote down, <laughs> Mr. Smiley and Mr. Frowny would make a good couple. I think they'd and make they each other would. happy. They'd, you know, the problem... Well, here's the thing. It's like, when you have a, like, a, a gay marriage, uh, what, there's no convention in place of who takes whose surname. I think they'd be a very happy couple together. So Mr. Uh, Frowny would probably take Mr. S- <laughs> Mr. Smiley's yeah. name and they'd both be Mr. Smiley. I, I think they should combine it together and be like, Mr... Smiley. No, I I like Harold and Quentin Smiley because they're both Smiley because yeah. they're together now. Unless it's double barrel and you have Frowny Smiley or Smiley Frowny. <laughs> that's that's just gonna confuse the kids around town. That's true, probably. Will. Um, yeah, oh, you're ruining the bit. I thought you were a professional, and the the line that I think really hits home for me that like there's something really sweet going on is Mr. Frowny's uh, sigh, and he goes, "I think I finally got the joke." It's just, yeah. oh, it, it, it's oh, nice. my heart. I like it. Yes. Uh, Stephen says, I guess my debt is re- repaid. And Smiley says, uh, Stephen, that machine costs uh, thousands of dollars. <laughs> and Stephen resigns himself to spending the rest of his life working in that machine. Never to yeah. be seen working in that machine no, again, no. mind you. But we, we can kind of imagine that there were many episodes in between where um, he paid off the debt and then their the friendship was repaired. Yeah, and... it's all good now. Yeah. So yeah, there we go. That is Clodcast episode 22. It was a long one this week. It was two and a half, uh, two hours, 40 minutes. Oh, wow. Thank you yeah. for sticking with us. Thank. Well, we hope you did. Are you listening now? Can you hear us? Or are we talking to ourselves? Well, if nothing else, we're talking to Retta. Hi, Retta. Yeah. I, yeah, I hope Retta you're was. still enjoying. <laughs> like, you, you, you must still be listening because you had to keep listening to find out if Mia read all of your That's notes true. out. I can definitely imagine Retta listening to it with her notebook in front of her, like, she better mention this. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, this is probably a good point for us to uh, wrap up and do self-promotion. Uh, we'll have another episode soon. I would say next week, but like everything's a bit topsy turvy yeah, with we'll us. We'll see what happens. Uh, for the next couple of weeks, we can't guarantee this is going to be weekly because we've got some turbulent stuff with we like, do. we've all got new jobs. Like, yep. Rhett has just got a new job, and Mia's moving to a new job soon, mm-hmm. and I just got a new job. Uh, but we'll try and have another one for you again next week. Uh, it'll be then, it'll be another like batch of five episodes because mm-hmm. we're going to get through the end of this show now. Yes. Uh, Mia, where can people find you on the internet? Ooh, um, you can find me on Twitter at OhMiaGod. That's where I often hang out. I tweet every day because I'm obsessed. You can also find me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash MiaViolet. Um, I now do monthly video blogs, which people seem to like. I, it lasts about 20 minutes to half an hour. You want to see me talk about something? Just... Give me a dollar and tell also, me. <laughs> I know a lot of you who listen to this used to support me on Patreon. If you no longer support me on Patreon and are looking for <laughs> somewhere to throw money and want to support the Clodcast, Mia Viola on Patreon. Oh, please go, do. Go throw money at Mia because 
I no longer am contractually allowed to accept <laughs> your money, so throw it to someone else in this household. Yeah, why like, not? Like support the Clodcast through me. Exactly. Like if people were supporting it last time through your Patreon, now they can support it through mine. And I'm sure, like, if they supported a kind of creative trans woman before, they might want to support another creative <laughs> trans woman. So that's the thing. But uh, yeah, thank you very much for listening to Clodcast. Oh, and, um, and, and if you want to email us, it's oh, hel- yes. hello at crystalclodcast.com. Thank I you forgot for... to promote Ratta or oh, myself. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. Because <laughs> I can tell people where to find me. Ratta is at superratar on Twitter, S U P A R R A Y T A R. You can find our Twitter handles very easily by going to Crystal Clodcast, which I can. Yeah, at Crystal Clodcast. Seeing who they are following. Yes. Uh, you can find me at Laura K Buzz pretty much everywhere. Um, you can also read my stuff on Kotaku UK now every week, which is like a big thing that happened. Mm-hmm. They, they can't uh, find you on Patreon anymore. No, can't find me on Patreon. You can find me on Kotaku UK, where like the day before recording this, I published an article about like the fact that video games advocate violence against Nazis, which seems quite a timely thing to yeah, discuss. that's a cool thing about go, video games. Go read a thing about video games and like fighting a Nazi. Yeah, and then find your local Nazi and punch him in the face. I, I never said that, Mia. <laughs> purely, purely a hypothetical humour article in which I like humorously point out that Nazis historically have required violence to uh, prevent them from doing things. Wink. I have to, No, you're not allowed to say <laughs> wink because I work for a company now, so so I have to very okay. firmly say without okay. you winking okay. that I am I am not advocating for violence against Nazis. I'm purely pointing out that <laughs> Mia is winking at me. Um, I, I'm purely pointing out that historically, at least as far as video games are concerned, Talking to Nazis doesn't tend to stop their beliefs, and occasionally you have to use violent acts in order to prevent them from doing very bad things. Mm-hmm. And I definitely did not at any point, like, at no point did I talk about modern day Nazis. I only talk about Nazis in the past. If you want to make any inferences about what you should do to Nazis today from that, that's on you. There you go, that's my legal back covered because I definitely did not say that you should punch a Nazi. I merely pointed out that in the past people have been violent to Nazis. This was a very busy episode. We covered what George Washington, <laughs> Nazis, racism. <laughs> yeah, this is a heavy episode. It's, it's, it's a good one. I like mm, this episode. I think it's a good episode. I like it. We did a lot of talking. We did. I don't know what's up today, but we're just like, go, go, yeah, go, go. Yeah, I want to go to bed now. I'm worn out. No, I have too much energy now. I'm going to clean the whole house. Okay. <laughs> I'll join in. I don't Why think not? we were this energetic before the gap where, like, Ratta left. I, yeah, and I, I think, honestly, <laughs> losing the last episode, we've made a better episode as it's replaced. I, I think so, but also, like, I do worry are people going to think that I, like, consumed something in that break between <laughs> halves? Because, like, we took a break and then suddenly energy. We, we were just like, okay, we're ready, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I must say, because I work for a company, I did not snort illegal narcotics in the break between halves of this episode. That would be a very immoral thing to do. You can find me at Kotaku UK. I can say anything I like, so make up your own stories what I did. Maybe I did cocaine, who knows? <laughs> Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. <laughs>